Welcome to Rogue Bogues. We're here for episode 21. Pro, what's news? Bogues, what are you up to, brother? We got a lot of, we got a lot of tomfoolery on the mist today. I, I can't wait. Pretty excited about it. Oh, it's great. It's been a fantastic week for playoffs. It's kind of a, a second note this week, but um, we'll get to Kwame Brown and all that going on later on. But we'll start with the playoffs. It's been, um, we've put all our picks in. So you've set fire to a few teams just by picking them, I guess. My friend just texts me, that's a, that's a Nuggets fan. And he's like, holy shit, why did Pro pick the Nuggets? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but there's we, we do have the hindsight. There's been two games completed. Uh, the, the Clippers just lost. Dallas just beat the Clippers. So they're 1-0 as we're, as a time of record. And then Milwaukee, Miami went to overtime. And Milwaukee salvaged that one, 1-0. As we speak, Brooklyn and Boston is going on. But let's go through our picks and why. Uh, let's start with the Clippers and Dallas. We both had... We both have the Clippers still winning that series, even though they're now down 1-0. They looked a little clunky today, man. Especially in that fourth quarter, the Clippers... They just go so ISO ball orientated late, and it seems like Ty Lue's really shortened up the leash, at least in the first game with his rotations. I thought Terrence Mann should have got more minutes, even Zubats to an extent, but Dallas did a hell of a job, and, and our guy that we picked as the non-superstar that could be a determining factor, Finney Smith, had a phenomenal game. What are your thoughts on that series so far? Yeah, I mean... First of all, it was a great game by Dallas as far as, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. was a big factor, Finney Smith. The problem was you, you put Luka in pick and roll and you got to, you know, because everybody in the league does the same thing defensively, you switch on Zubac with him, with, with Luka, and he just can't stay with him. I mean, Luka's just, him and Steph probably have the innate ability of making the toughest shots in the history of the game, you know. The, you know, it's just ridiculous. Not the history of the game, but you know how it is. He can just make shots and he can make plays. So he stretches them out. He gets to the pain. He makes a play or he pat, you know, he does that look off to one, like to the wing and passes to the corner. And, you know, he, he's just deadly. And the clip, you know, the Clippers, like Paul George, just, you know, playing that ISO ball and those tough shots. You just can't live on a steady diet of tough shots in the playoffs. You know, people game plan to you and you're just making it tougher for your team. I think he's got to, they got to attack the rim. Dallas really doesn't have any rim protection. They got to attack the rim. And Dallas did a great job, just spread them out, just made easy plays. Brunson played well. You know, uh, Finney Smith played well. Obviously, Luca had a game. So it was uh, it was pretty fun to watch. What'd you, what'd you see out there, Bogues? Well, big adjustment, I think, late was Pozingas was rolling off that pick and roll action. And he got two easy dunks just from, from one was a straight roll to the rim from Luca, and the other one was just playing out of the dunker. And I mean, if that's something that um, they've, you know, Carlisle and the coaches have mentioned in Dallas and really tried to make a point of emphasis with Pazingas, like we know you can shoot the three, we know you're a great pick and pop guy at times, but we need you to roll sometimes. And, and he's actually doing it now. I mean, uh, that's tough because I, I guess when Pazingas is on the floor his, historically this past season, you could blitz Luca and just hold that blitz until Luca gives it up and, and it'd go to Pazingas at the three. And he'd be a ball stopper to an extent. He'd hold it for a second. Should I shoot it? Should I pass it? And then the rotation's done its job, right? But today, he, he rolled late in that fourth quarter twice and wide open dunks, big buckets as well. So, nice adjustment there by um, by Dallas. Yeah, for sure. I, I You know, Porzingis is a, a good shooter. He's, he's never been a great shooter. He's a good shooter. And I think if he's just taken all three-point shots and he looked timid out there with just like trying to, you know, force up shots early. Like, I like him as a roller. I, I do like him open shots without question. I'd rather him roll to the rim, not get it, and then space out to the three and then get it late. You know Luca's going to find it. But I think if you just if he just keeps on trying to space the floor and shoot these, you know, these deep threes, it just 
I don't think he's like consistent enough as a shooter to put up a good series in a row playing that way. I think, you know, he's, you could, you know, you could roll him to the rim. You could post him up. You could get at the elbow. He could make plays like that, run to the rim. But I think like, I agree. Like if he rolls to the rim, even if they don't give it to him, you're going to suck somebody in a weak side defender to bump him and it's going to open up somebody else and just open up the floor. But you know, Ty Lue's got a big, you know, he's got a big couple of days ahead of himself to try to, you know, to try to do this. I thought to try to make these, you know, adjustments. I think I always, I thought that Dallas would punch them in the face either. I thought more game two, but I, I expected it to be 1-1 going back to Dallas. I think it's still going to be a six-game series. Maybe not. Who knows? But, um, you know, this is where Ty Lue's going to earn his money and his staff's going to earn his and their money because that's what the playoffs is about, in my opinion, is making the adjustment off that first, you know, off that one game where you get punched in the face. And I believe it's the first game one Dallas has won in a playoff series since the championship year against OKC, I believe. I just read that stat, which is kind of a useful stat, but just, just goes to show how poor they've been in game ones of playoff series. So for them to come out and win game one is very, very important for their psyche and to push onto that series. But I mean, T. Lou does like to ride those veterans a lot. He plays them high minutes, so that's going to be interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't like what I saw in the fourth quarter from them. I think they'll make the adjustment. They have too much talent not to make this series go six or seven if they do happen to lose it. But yeah, that ISO ball late, you're putting a lot of pressure on Paul George, a lot of pressure on Kawhi. You know, we, we talked about, okay, you can't have Zubats out there for pick and roll reasons, but then they're not, getting, they're not even getting second chance opportunities then because, you know, you've got Morris, who's a spacer. You've got a Bucker at times who's not playing huge minutes right now. You're not really getting any O boards. So, I mean, it's much of a muchness out there. It's just going to be interesting to see, you know, what T. Lou does cutting up that tape. Yeah, I agree. And, that, and like I said, this is where this is where if you're a championship level coach, you can make these adjustments and and you'll be good. Look, they've got two great players and they've got a you know, they've got a good bench. They got Rondo, they've got you know, they got a bunch of other guys that they can rely on to to do some things. But first of all, you can't you just can't live on these tough shots. You know, Paul George walk up three on the right side, you know, when when they had some momentum behind really them, they contested. gotta get to the basket. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like you got to get to the basket. You got to cut. You got to like hand off and you know just attack it off the handoff and either either get to the basket or, or lob to somebody else. Like you got to make Dallas work. And if you're just gonna ISO it, there's just not good. Look, no no offense to anybody, but there are very few players that ever lived that could just play ISO ball the whole time. Like Kawhi Leonard, I thought like he can get a shot by like jabbing a guy off, shot jab, you know, you know attack, get to the basket, get to the free throw line. But yeah, if you're just going to play ISO ball, it's going to be, I, I think Dallas, you know, I think Dallas would definitely capitalize just because they play in rhythm. They're not an ISO. They don't play ISO besides Luca, and everybody else sort of shares the ball and attacks and, you know, spaces the floor. I, you know, it's going to be an interesting series. It's going to be fun. Yeah. And I like Rondo. I, I thought Rondo had a great game uh, for them for the most part. He shot the ball real well from three. Uh, I just liked his activity. He was picking up Luca full court. So maybe he'll find a bit more minutes, potentially even even starting because Beverly, Beverly wasn't any good today. But we'll move on to Milwaukee versus Miami. Uh, we both have picked Miami in that one, the underdog, based on last year. And my, my thought process, probably much like yours, would be that Miami has so many long athletic guys that can pack the pain on Giannis. Um, and that should be the recipe to win. And look, they should have won today if they shot the ball better. It wasn't a great game when you looked at field goal percentage it wasn't a pretty game um I'm, i didn't watch most of the game i caught caught the late part of it but um miami 36 percent for the game very ugly 44 percent from milwaukee Giannis was 10 for 27 butler was 4 for 22 bam shot poorly as well Giannis shooting 10 to 27 I, even though it was a bad night and 
I know he missed some free throws. I like him being that aggressive. Um, it, it's you know he's 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 going to have to carry them. And and if it is a bad shooting night, it is a bad shooting night. But I think historically there were times where if he has a you know if he's seven for twenty, he stops shooting. Um, where today he was like, no, nah, I'm going to keep shooting that ball. But a pretty ugly game one kind of standard for the East, East Eastern Conference playoffs that we've seen o- over time. But um, are you still sold, Miami? We'll get this done. I am. I, I think Jimmy Butler needs to show up in game two. You know, no offense, no, no, not taking a dig at him, but he's usually a lot more sort of aggressive. And even though he took 22 shots today, <clears throat> just didn't seem like he had that fire, that passion, that attacking mentality. You know, I know he did send the game into overtime, but it just doesn't seem like he he wasn't really into it most of the game. It just seemed distant, and 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 it, it starts with him. I, I think it starts with him. They got to give him the ball to Bam, sort of in his kill spots, handling the ball at the elbow. You know, let him touch it a little bit more. Let him be a little bit more aggressive. You know, Duncan Robinson was pretty good. They forced him into some tough shots, but he was seven for thirteen from the three. But you know, they got to be. They got to continue to be aggressive. It, you know, it starts with Butler and you know Bam. If those guys don't really dominate. And they don't come to play every game. They're gonna. It's gonna be tough because you know as good as Dragic is, and you know Nunn's decent, and Robinson can shoot, and you know Hero's decent. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna play like that. And 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 Giannis, like Giannis, is gonna continue to be aggressive, even if they're not falling. You're the best player in that game. You gotta, you gotta act like it. You gotta continue to attack. They gotta play through you. And you gotta, you know, continue to attack. Now they're gonna continue to wrap them up, force them to get to the free throw line. He's continuously, you know, I don't care about the three point shooting. I said that early, way early in the season. It's it's gonna be, it's gonna come down to the free throws, not the threes, the free throws that define him. Because when they need a basket late, they're just gonna, you know, and he has the ball, they're just gonna wrap him up and get him to the line. And six for thirteen is a little rough, but look, you know, they don't really have much of a bench. Um, you know, Middleton's very good. Lopez can do some things. Obviously, Holiday, you know, but like, you know, he just got to continue. You know, this is the development. Even though he's a two-time MVP, he's still developing Giannis, and he needs to have games like this to be able to like rebound back. All right, I went ten for twenty-seven, but I still want the ball game too. You know, I, I need to continue to try to dominate. And then just sort of learn from these things and how they're going to defend him. They continue to wall him up. Conti- you know, he still doesn't really have that go-to move except, you know, putting his head down and spinning, you know, getting to the basket or spinning, you know, left to right. So he's just going to continue to learn from these things and learn from his mistakes and continuously just want the ball in his hands. Yeah, you just hit the bench. I mean, that that's the reason why I picked Miami. I think this game will go the distance. I think it'll be a six or seven game series. That bench is concerning for me with Milwaukee. Um, you, you look at their starting five as of today anyway. Giannis, 46-odd minutes. Middleton, 45-odd minutes. Drew Holiday, 42-and-a-half minutes. Vincenzo 38 minutes rounded off and Lopez 36 minutes over the course of seven games I just don't see that as a sustainable recipe to success especially when you look at the bench Miami have they go nine deep but they spread it out pretty evenly you look at Iguodala still played 16 minutes off the bench Hero played 19 Dragic played 35 so they've got a much more balanced bench and they still have some security blankets down there in you know Bielitsa didn't even play a few other guys and obviously they can throw in Haslam to start a fight so yeah, I think the the bench is is going to be very very important in this series just because it's going to go. I think it's going to go the distance, and I think that's where Milwaukee. You look at their bench; there was not not much really provided in the form of anything off the bench. Um, I mean, Portis had eight and four and seventeen minutes, and that was basically it. So 
you know, God forbid Milwaukee have an injury or two or, you know, a guy gets in foul trouble, that that's where this thing will change. And I think, you know, the coaching staff, Spo at, at Miami, I think they'll make some adjustments um, watching that film and, and knowing that they, they shot 36% and lost by two in overtime. You never, you never take um, – kind of the, that whole uh, it was still a positive loss but they are some positives in that loss I mean Jimmy Butler's not going to go four for 22 again yeah for sure and that's why I think you know they put they won the game at home by two but Butler had one of the worst games I've ever seen him play and that guy is a warrior you know he's a warrior for sure like he'll he'll put he'll put them on his back and he'll continue to go he never quits that kid and and I think they got to continue with attack. They took 53s today. Hey, look, you live and die by it for sure. But like, you know, they made 20 of them, which is obviously a 40% clip. But you got to continue to like get to the basket, get to the free throw line, you know, get them in foul trouble, be aggressive. You know, they don't, they don't really have shot blocking. You know, they don't have shot blocking from Milwaukee. You got to attack that. You know, the three-point shot's great, but you got to establish it in the paint. And then get to the line, you know, get to the basket, and then go inside out, and then you know, go from inside. If they help up, then you, you know, then you could kick the ball around for threes. But I think you just can't fall in love with that three point shot all the time. I just think you got to continue attack. Butler's got to attack. Gets, you know, he got to the line ten times tonight, you know, but he'll be better. He just seemed off. Like he just seemed like he wasn't attacking the basket. He wasn't, you know, attacking like he usually does. He's a ferocious dude, man, and. You know, I think I expect a, a a better you know game two for sure from him, and I think if you know Bam will, I think Bam will touch the ball in the places that he needs to get it. So, but hey, look, hats off to Milwaukee. They're still a good team. They fought. You know, they're they're a little light on the second unit, but they fought, and you know, great shot by Middleton to win the game in overtime. Man, no doubt. Next one we have Utah versus Memphis. Uh, pretty cut and dry for me. I think you know if Memphis get one or two that's a huge win for him in this series um, I don't see him doing more than that I think Utah too deep you know going to solidify that number one seed by, by doing that everyone expected that game to be Golden State Utah but it wasn't meant to be and, and we've we've joked about it that uh, <laughs> this game this game might be watched by 150 people on the national television schedule there um, so not not the ideal matchup for the NBA would have wanted and that's no disrespect to the Utah Jazz and Memphis Grizzlies basketball wise I'm just talking about what the um, the NBA and ESPN would have wanted is definitely not a Utah Memphis series but I'm, I'm you know I think it'll be a, a decent series but I just I just don't think Memphis have enough to, to really push Utah in this one yeah I actually texted a Utah fan last night after the game and I said hey just want to, you know, I wonder if Quinn's okay with pushing the game back another half an hour because HGTV now picked up the game and, you know, they, they got the farmer's market on it at, at that time slot. So, you know, it's a big plug for them. So, if you can move it a half an hour, I haven't heard back from him. So, he might have been a little <laughs> pissed at that. You know, yeah, look, obviously, they wanted Golden State in that game. And um, I, I think it's really tough for first-year teams, especially when you're an eight seed, Playing a team that's as good and, and as experienced as, as Utah is, I think it's going to be extremely tough for Memphis. You know, the first time really, you know, tasting that and, and, and that, you know, getting into a series like that against a team like that. I don't really expect this thing. Maybe they'll take a game, maybe two. I doubt it. I think I expect Utah in five. You know, look, it'll be good for John Morant and these guys. I, I love watching them play. Jenkins does a great job coaching them, and I think that you know they they play hard and. and John Moran's such a fun player to watch, but barring something major happening, I don't I don't see how Utah's going to lose this series. Yeah, you don't see Valentunas having the impact that he has had over the last. I mean, besides the last game against Golden State, he's had a hell of a month. His numbers have been insane. Mm-hmm. 20, I think twenty five, twenty six, and 
something like 14, 15 boards over the last three or four weeks. That, you know, with Gobert down there, a bit more length, I don't think he's going to dominate as much as he has. Um, but it's invaluable for Memphis, and this is part of their growth of, of getting to a playoff series, experiencing it, even though the weird COVID stuff and arena's not being completely full. I think it's an important step for a young team to, to then build for the future. So looking forward to that one. Next one is Phoenix and the Lakers. Now, we both have picked the the, the lowly seven-seed LA Lakers. <laughs> um <laughs> For obvious reasons, look, Phoenix still gets our disrespect, so they have to, you know, hopefully they prove us wrong, but I think getting LA, LeBron looks like he was starting to get his legs under him in that second game, you know, um, uh, sorry, that first game against Golden State where they put him through, and, you know, AD still looks a little, you know, a little limpy at times, but having this two or three days off now, you know, they might not explode in game one or two, but the, the, the more time goes on, the point you made in last week's pod is, you know, you want to face LA right now rather than, you know, a week or two or three weeks time because they're going to start to get healthy and start feeling good and get in a rhythm. And I think they're, you know, I think Phoenix will push them. I think it'll probably be 4-2 to the Lakers though. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I just think that the Lakers, LeBron and AD, when they're healthy, it's just so tough to beat, especially for a team like Phoenix. Look, no, no disrespect to Phoenix. You know, they're a good team. They obviously, they played it through the whole year. You know, those guys played great. But I just think the Lakers, you know, LeBron, his experience, AD, his experience, you know, they don't really have much of a second unit. But it, I think they're just a better team than Phoenix, to be honest, when they're healthy. And everybody's together. Look, you know, LeBron missed what 24 out of the last 26 games of the season. You know, they're a little bit of a different team. AD and, the, and both those guys out, like they're a different team. That this would be a much different seating system if those guys were healthy throughout the whole season. So I, I just think that it's a little bit of a fool's gold with their record. With LA's record, I think that yeah, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a five or a six game series. I don't I don't see Phoenix winning this. Then again, we didn't have Monty Williams in our top three. He wins coaches the year you know i didn't think they had enough firepower to get to the you know to the playoffs forget about the second seed so i mean i'm a fucking jinx so whatever i say you should go the opposite but i I just don't see them i don't see them going with it yeah i'm the same i think they'll they'll get a game or two just because you know chris paul is one of the best at running a team Um, they still have some good role players devin booker's had a hell of a year so i think they'll they'll get a game or two um but you look at the lakers you look at lebron and ad being back has now you know the role players are starting to do what they do caruso was phenomenal um, against the Warriors, you know, um, he had a game there where he hit the side of the backboard late in that game and then <laughs> bounced straight back and and made, I think, three or four championship winning plays, game winning plays. So I think those guys are, okay, you've got LeBron back and you've got AD back and they bring you that scoring power. But what it does for those role players now to fit back in naturally to what they do and not, not have that added amount of pressure for a KCP to maybe now have to score an extra five points a game or a Kuzma, like we need you to gun for us for us to have a chance to win. You don't need that anymore. So that I think it just kind of lets those guys now take a deep breath and relax. That anxiety, that stress level goes down. You've got LeBron and AD and those guys are going to find themselves with open opportunities to to make big shots. And that's what we saw against against Golden State who, you know, arguably had full control of that game till, till the last five, six minutes and, and the Lakers took it from them. Yeah, I agree. And look, taking, not taking anything away from, you know, Phoenix, of course. Paul, Booker, Bridges, you know, Aiton has had a good year and I think they're going to push him. And look, Phoenix can win the series, obviously, but, 
You know, I just don't see it. Uh, I, you know, the Lakers, like you said, those role players really for the Lakers, they're not guys that could, you, you could really expect to have expanded roles. And I think you saw that when both those guys are out, you just, they don't have anybody that's going to take over a game, you know, for them. They got decent players. But now when you get those two guys back, and now the like Kuzma, you know, guys like Caruso and Horton, like those guys now can get back into their roles and their regular rotations. And, you know, now they're much that they're that much tougher to stop. So, you know, that's what I'm seeing. Agree. Denver versus Portland. So this is one we disagreed on. Um, you've got Denver. I have Portland. Um, I just think that uh, they've done a lot to get to this point, Denver, and they've been fantastic. I think Jokic as you know he's my mvp i think steph's right there with him um now um i still think i'd give it to Jokic. just uh, no bias there because i love steph but that's just how it goes but portland i think it's it's basically an offensive onslaught for these two teams defense is going to be the 15th priority in this series <laughs> um and I think Portland has a bit more firepower to match them offense for offense, and it puts a lot of pressure on Jokic. Like Jokic has to have, he has to have those triple double type nights for them to to be in games over the course of a series. And I think I think Portland, you know, you look at McCollum and you look at um, Lillard and then now Powell, and they've got a lot of different weapons that can go for thirty on any given night. Whereas I think Denver don't, and that's you know losing Murray has been huge. For them, um, a huge loss for them, and I think when the when the scoring dries up, and let's say Jokic has a bad shooting game or a game where they're not allowing him to you know get the ball out of his hands early, so he can't have those ten fifteen assist games, I, I really worry about you know how far they'll go. Yeah, I, I agree that Portland. I mean, Portland is one of the more exciting teams to watch offensively. You know, they just have you know with Dame and and they you know just the regular gang. They those guys are just. They're tough to stop and, and they are, they have a lot of weapons and, you know, it, it's going to be tough for Denver to stop. And, and without Murray, it's going to be a big problem for them. But I do, I, I do like the home court advantage factor for Denver. I do like, you know, Jokic because of his passing. And I like having Gordon on the floor, Port, you know, Porter, obviously they don't have the, they don't have a guy like Murray who, who could take over a game a little bit more scoring wise. But, you know, Porter's still dangerous. Gordon's, you know, Gordon can cut in space and, and play hard. You know, I am plus with the home court advantage. Hopefully they're guys with, you know, Dozier and, and Compazzo. And, you know, those guys could play well enough. You know, Monty Morris, those guys could play well enough to, uh, you know, to make a factor as far as at the point guard spot. But, yeah, it's going to be a tough. It might be a little bit of an uphill battle for Denver, but I, I really like Jokic is so tough with passing. If he was like a one-dimensional guy who just scored, you know, I would say it's going to probably be a blowout in Portland's favor. But you know, because of his vision, they you know they can move, and I, I think that that you know he's just such a he's been a force, and even without Murray, you know, they've been good. I know playoff basketball is a little bit different, but. You know, it's going to be an entertaining series for sure to watch and, you know, we'll see what happens. Defensively, you're right. Like, you know, Portland plays no defense. Denver's not really, you know, a great defensive team either. But, you know, we'll see if they could slow the game down a little bit and just play in the half court, force Portland to guard, get to the free throw line, attack, make their shots, share the ball. You know, they might have a chance, but we'll see. Yeah, and I think this is a big one for. I think I like the the home court too for Denver. The altitude will definitely help them a little bit. Um, but in a playoff series, I think you have a bit more time to prepare. Like when we played Denver, my first year in Golden State, we went out there like five days before our game one to try and acclimatize to the to the um, altitude, and it worked for us. We, we stole a game 
um, stole I think game one or game two, and then came home and and then wrapped the series up one two in a row, and then one 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 on our floor in game six. But Portland, you know, Terry Stotts being on the hot seat. Uh, this is this is this is it. This is his make or break moment, and I think he has an opportunity to get out of the first round finally. Just because, um, yeah, I think I just think they'll have too much. I think it'll go the distance. I think it'll be a, a six or seven game series. This 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 series kind of reminds me a little bit of the Portland OKC series a few years ago when Dame hit that big shot. It just seems that kind of matchup where where I think it favors Portland, but we'll see. Philadelphia versus Washington. I mean, we both have picked Philly for obvious reasons. I think this will be an actually a, a more exciting series than we think um, it is a 1-8 so most people think it's a wash but there's that little rivalry between Joel Embiid and, and Westbrook now Westbrook hates everyone so it's no surprise and, and Embiid, <laughs> Embiid's as much as an, an asshole as anyone else um, which makes these two going at each other even though they're different positions a fun battle to watch both leaders of their team they got into it the last time they played in the regular season Joel was famously waving bye-bye to, to Westbrook who got ejected I think and and there was a lot of animosity after that game but um, yeah it looks like this will be a a pretty good 1-8 matchup in my opinion, but Philly will still, you know, take the cookies in this one. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I like Philly, you know, obviously, but I, I just don't think Washington is enough. I think it's so much – and look, we've been – we at least I've been sort of hard on them most of the year, and they, they obviously turned it around and did really well at the end. But I just think that in the playoffs, it's a little bit different. Philadelphia is loaded with their lineup and – you know, with Embiid and Tobias and Ben Simmons and, you know, they got a good second unit, you know, with Thibault and Mike Scott and Dwight Howard, those guys. I, I think they'll, you know, Maxie, they'll, they'll play. It'll be a good series, hard fought. I think, you know, the whole Embiid-Westbrook thing, you know how Westbrook's going to try to get motivated any way he can and just start talking to everybody and all that and get revved up. You know, Bradley Beal, hopefully he's healthy, you know, fully healthy for the series. Um, I know he was hobbled at the end of the year there. We'll see what happens. I don't expect Washington to win, but then again, I've been sort of downplaying them most of the year and look what happened. So I feel fucking bad for Philly if I'm picking them to win the first round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're scarring them. But uh, uh, the other thing I'm interested in this series, like all playoff series with Philly, is is what teams do to scheme because they're going to they're pick on Ben Simmons in that half court, whether they're running off him completely, whether they're standing under the basket. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do and then countering that i'm interested to see what doc does does doc put him in that dunker in the half court sets uh does he play him for stretches as basically their five and have joel kind of you know pop a little bit at the three and there's a lot of interesting things that can happen with these cross matchups and i know scott brooks does look at analytics a fair bit and likes to to junk things up at times and do some quirky things so i'm looking forward to seeing how our australian Ben Simmons goes in that series. Yeah, I'd post him up, to be honest with you. I'd have him live in the post because, you know, let him play out of there, let him pass out of the post, let him, you know, let him try to score a little bit and be aggressive. I think, like you said, I think they're going to play off of him, beg him to shoot. You know he's not going to shoot from three. And I think if he's just wandering. Well, you put Joel, if you post him Ben up, you put him out on the three or you put him in the opposite dunker? I put him opposite dunker and just let him operate. Not, look, you, with Embiid there on the floor, you're not going to be doing it all game. But you're going to try to move him around and cut him to the basket, you know, hand, like, you know, let, let him come off some handoffs and see where that goes, get him to, to the basket, let him get into transition. Um, but you're right. They're going to be, they're going to be shrinking the floor, begging him to shoot and, and not wanting him to drive. And they're going to, you know, they're going to try to help as much as he can. Got to use his passing and his size to his advantage. But you can't, you can't really isolate that because it takes the ball out of Embiid's hands and he's so exactly. good. That's my so, point. Yeah it's, yeah. it's tough to see. Yeah. That. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Yeah, Doc's going to earn his money. 
Next one, we've got Brooklyn versus Boston. That's going on right now as a time of recording, 53-47. Boston up at halftime. Saw an interesting stat pop up on screen, something that we've talked about. The big three for Brooklyn have only played eight games together this season. Look, we all, we all think we all would put the house almost on Brooklyn getting through this series, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as everyone thinks. I think Boston's going to fight them. And this game so far, there's been a lot of loose balls. Smart's been wrestling guys on the floor. They're diving on loose balls. They're scrapping. They're clawing. At the end, I don't think they'll have enough offensively, but I think they're going to battle. I think that, you know, Boston could potentially steal maybe two games in this series, but it just goes to show um, Brooklyn look a little clunky right now. They um, they just haven't played together enough, and it's they're the Clippers of last season. They're, they're the uber-talented team with a lot, a lot of big signings in the offseason, but have they got that um, togetherness that, you know, uh, most teams have of just playing together over the course of a season. Now, eight games together, I don't care how good you are, you know, there's still some tendencies you got to figure out. And okay, they are all ISO guys you can just throw the ball to, but there will be some tight games where things things get um, a little tight and there could be some key mistakes just from, you know, inexperience of not playing together. Um, but yeah, I got, I got Brooklyn and so do you, right? Yeah, I, I do. I think it's going to be I think Boston could take up to two games in the series. I do think that – I think it's natural for those guys to struggle a little bit, especially when they didn't play together. But those guys are professional. They're really good at what they do. You know, they're one of the best in the league, each one of them at, at you know, at their position. So, I think they'll figure it out, but I think it's going to have some learning curves and stuff. And unfortunately, you're not going through this in February. You're going through this in the playoffs. So, it gets a little complicated, you know, to deal with this stuff in the playoffs. But – um, I think just like the Lakers, you know, early on when those guys came back, it's a little clunky at times. But the, once they get their legs under them, they get used to things. I think it'll get a, get a, it'll be a lot easier. I would hate to be their second round opponent rather than their first round opponent. Like I said, I'd rather play those guys early to try to punch them in the mouth and see what happens. But I think that they'll they'll, they'll end up they'll they'll play well. You know, it's still up in the air if they're going to win this thing or not. But I think they'll beat Boston at about five or six, and you know they'll they'll be they'll be much better in the second round. Yeah, and that's uh, Brooklyn could have the the you know be the most clunkiest team out there and still get through this series relatively unscathed just because they're so talented and they've got so much so much talent there. But um, you know, the next round will pro- probably be Milwaukee or Miami depending on how that goes. But I think yeah, I think they'll get through. You just want to you just want to see them get a bit more continuity and and play play through each other a little more. But unfortunately for Boston, they won't get through Marcus Smart is having a great for half of them up, up to now which is a guy that, that we both mentioned as an x-factor for them and he's um you know they're up they're up six and he's having a hell of a game so I think if he continues to be that guy they like you said could steal a game or two but won't win that series Atlanta versus New York we're opposites here you have Atlanta I have New York I'm not betting against Thibs I think he does a fantastic job of breaking <laughs> down tape fantastic yeah. job of I think grinding this game out defensively is what they're going to do um, I think Atlanta they like playing that free-flowing style they like to a lot of early drags early sh- early shots in the shot clock which I think plays into New York's hands at times but they will try to crunch them down not give them those early opportunities and they'll probably live with a Trey Young logo three in transition at times um, as long as they're back and set and not giving up easy baskets and then Atlanta's going to have to win that win that series based on making tough shots um, they're going to have to beat them and Atlanta do like to play that free throwing style so and then the other end you got to you got to guard you know who's going to guard Julius Randle for them I mean John Collins probably has that task early on 
Um, D Rose off the bench has been real good for him. So I think this is going to be a great series for a first round first round series. I'm looking forward to this one. I think this one will go the distance, and I think it'll be it'll be a back and forth, up and down. And if you look historically, I mean, Thibs's teams, even even Nate McMillan's teams at times, they don't they don't just get bounced out of a playoff series easily. It's never a four one loss or a four two loss ever rarely. And if it is, it's a grind. I think this one's going to go the distance, and they're all going to be close, fun games to watch. Yeah, I could have. This might have been a throwaway for me for sure. I just thought that offensively they were better than New York. Like New York is good, don't get me wrong, but it could be a little clunky at times if the ball, if Randall's, Randall's going to have to have a hell of a series. They don't have a lot of offense. They got some, they got Rose off the bench, you know, and, and I know Atlanta played pretty well in the last couple months of the year. And if they're going to catch him sleeping, it's probably going to be, you know, they could probably, they could catch New York. The problem is Nate McMillan's more of a defensive coach. Tibbs is a defensive coach, not a great offensive coach, but they do have a great offensive weapons. You know, Trey Young and, you know, with Young and Collins, you know, Capella playing hard and, you know, obviously Bogdanovich and, you know, Horder and if Lou Williams could do some th- damage. I, I just said someone's going to get snuck on in, in the playoffs. It's got something – not every high seed's going to win. And I, I think that Atlanta – I think Atlanta will have a chance to sort of – you know, break through and beat these guys, but it'll be a good series for sure. I like, I love watching Tibbs' teams defensively, especially how they guard pick and roll. It'll be interesting, you know, what they do with Trey Young and how they guard him and, you know, try to isolate him and take the ball out of his hands. And, you know, I would force those other guys to be playmakers, you know, on Atlanta, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, to see how this, uh, this series goes. I think Atlanta could win. I think it's going to go six or seven. I don't think it's going to be a sweep by, you know, any stretch on, on, on any side, but. You know, we'll see. I hate making these fucking picks, folks. I'm the worst. I don't. I don't fucking enjoy it. I love getting shit talked on fucking Twitter. It is fun, but I fucking hate awards. I fucking hate per 36 minutes, and I hate fucking making predictions because I'm awful at it. Awful at it. Oh, no one's no one's perfect. No one gets them right. Um, if they, if they are, they'd be gambling on it. But I I think um this New York Atlanta series will be the closest thing we see to 90s, early 2000s East Coast basketball for this era because <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> I mean, I would I would guess there'll be a few games that don't go over 100 because, as you said, both two defensive-minded coaches. Uh, there'll be a lot of holding, grinding, grabbing. So um, it depends how it's refereed, obviously. But this could potentially be a series where we have a few games in the in the 80, late 80s, early 90s. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, it it's going to be a an, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a struggle than I thought with Atlanta scoring. But yeah, fuck it. I was I'm just going to go with them. See what see what happens and. See, like, you know, I watched the I, the Knicks late in the year, and look, the Knicks are uh, fun to watch. R.J. Barrett and Randall and those guys and D. D. Rose, but you know, sometimes offensively they don't look great, especially if Randall isn't cooking. So, you know, I thought that Trey Young they could you know push the ball up. They got Snell, my guy, shooting the ball, and you know some of the other players they've got off the bench. Like I said, the Red Rocket Herder and Bogdanovich, you know, some of those guys. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. It will be fun to watch. That's our playoff wrap. So give us some shit on socials when we get them wrong because we inevitably will. <laughs> now on to a, the fun part of the pod, Kwame Brown bust <laughs> life. So for those not familiar, Kwame Brown was a former number one pick uh, for the Washington Wizards drafted by Michael Jordan. He copped a lot of shit in his career. Um, some people would say rightfully so. Some people would say a bit harsh. Um, some people would say it goes to the territory of being number one. But 
I will say he never never made a peep about it throughout his playing career. 12 years, you didn't hear a word out of him. He um, still had a respectable career. I mean, okay, maybe not for a number one pick, but still had a very, very good career. Um, was a very, very good defender on the block. Had some seasons where he was better than others, obviously. He'd moved around a fair bit, but he has had enough. Um, he has had enough. The story goes something like this. He he heard on the, I believe it's the All the Smoke podcast, Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson. I played with Stephen Jackson in Milwaukee, obviously. They have a little podcast. They were going back and forth, and somehow Kwame Brown's name came up about the trade that was made for Pau Gasol back in the day. And Matt Barnes made some sort of comment like, um, "It was only it was only Marcus Sol in that trade. There was no one else um, when Kwame was in that trade." And he didn't take too lightly to that. He jumped on uh, jumped on his Instagram live and his YouTube. They're all uploaded on his YouTube, so I recommend you go there. Kwame Brown Bus Life is the name of the YouTube oh. channel. So fucking good. And he has gone, like we call ourselves, you know, call this podcast Rogue Bogues. If we're Rogue Bogues, I mean, that guy is machine gun Rogue Brown. I mean, he he has not forgotten about anyone. Matt Barnes is now referred to Becky with the good hair. Steven Jackson, fake fake social activist gangster was the name he gave him, <laughs> fake Black Lives Matter activist, all that stuff. He's gone at Rachel Nichols. He's gone at Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, uh, Charlemagne the God, um, who I don't really know who is, runs a podcast, a radio show called The, the, the Breakfast Club and absolutely destroyed him. You know, Charlemagne the God got personal with his family and that's gone Jamil back and Hill. forth. Jameel Hill. I mean, there's a, if you, you know, we, we had to do some research and make sure we weren't too harsh on Kwame at all in our podcast and I think we're okay. Oh, yeah, that fucking uh, Sprite joke. Just, don't don't think joke. I wasn't fucking- It was a joke, Kwame. So if you if you're listening to this- Bro, we're having a laugh about it, but I'm going to say I like it. I like this. You know, I mean, there is a bit of profanity laced in, in what he's saying, but shit, our podcast has that every other minute, so I can't judge too much. But I think he's finally biting back and he's telling his story and speaking his truth. And he may not say it the way you want to hear it, but he's making a lot of valid points. He's making a lot of valid points. I can tell you, I mean, people complained about him using derogatory language. He, he then mentions, well, why can't my daughter listen to a rap song about doing drugs and, you know, hoes and all that kind of stuff. Very valid point. Um, he, he makes a valid point about he's an 18-year-old kid coming from high school, goes to the Washington Wizards, Michael Jordan. Yeah, he, he felt, you know, fish out of water and struggled to adapt and was playing for one of the – or the best player of all time who was an imposing figure at the best of times, especially in that front office role. Even though he was playing at the time, he was essentially the GM. So – he has some very valid points. Um, the videos, you know, they, they waffle on a little bit now. They, they go an hour and a half, two hours, but he is just absolutely shitting on anyone in his path. Um, there are some things that he said that people could deem offensive, but I'll tell you what, he's all about equality because he's shitting on anyone, whether you're black, white, Asian, straight, you know, part whatever community you're part of, if you've said anything about this man, he's coming after you. And it's been um it's actually been pretty, pretty funny to watch, bro. Yeah, Bogues, look, Kwame Brown, look, he's been in the butt of a lot of jokes, obviously, right? When you're dra when you well, I saw the kid play in high school at Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It was one of the best AU tournaments in the country. And this is like of his junior year, like May of his junior year, you know. And he was a really good player. I think he won MVP of the tournament or all tournament, whatever have you. He's a hell of a player. But, you know, look, he got drafted number one. And when you're drafted number one, if he was drafted number five, nobody would give a fuck about his numbers. And, you know, you'd hear a little bit of the bus talk, but they're not going to really hit it. When you're the number one pick 
and you're you know and you average like six and six for your career, the number one pick, like of course you're gonna have scrutiny. Of course they're gonna bust your balls about it. You know, look, he had short arms. He was first of all he was an explosive player. He had size. He was a good rebounder. Um, the problem with him was he he was a McDonald's All American, one of the best players in the country, but he had short arms, small hands, and he couldn't shoot. So he would have been limited. It didn't matter what like situation he was in. He was in Washington where they were trying to win playoff games. You, you had a veteran crew. You had Michael Jordan. who was really hard to play with as a rookie that sort of needs a little nurturing, right? And look, some I think it's great to play with someone like that to toughen you up. But when you're a high school kid and you're trying to make it, you've never been in the pros before. You just you had no experience except playing in high school. Like if he played for the Clippers back then, or he played for a team that was just bad team, and you know, I think he could have been like a fifteen and eight kind of guy. You know, I, I don't think he'd ever be a star, but he could have been like a fifteen and eight. But he didn't. And just like if you watch Goodfellas, you know, when they were going to burn that fucking, you know, when, when they're going to burn that restaurant down. Oh, you don't have the money to pay the rent? Fuck you, pay me. Oh, somebody died in your family? Fuck you, pay me. Like, like nobody cares, unfortunately, like that you didn't go to the right team or you didn't get the right development or what have you. And you were in the number one pick and you're going to get scrutiny out of that. So, you know, you listen to him talk. Like, you know, I'm never going to tell how somebody how to feel. I always say that on the podcast. I, I mean it. He could feel however the fuck he wants to feel about whoever's telling him, you know, talking shit about him. He could not react. He could fucking go at him hard. However the fuck he wants to do it, he did it. It's fucking entertaining as shit listening to him. Like, I go on almost every one of his fucking YouTube lives. It is funnier than shit. And I'm telling you this, if you think I'm fucking bad with your 10-year-old kid, I'm telling you, <laughs> the, 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 the fucking government will take your kids away from you if you have them listen to the shit he does. Yeah. He says the N-word so many times, Cat Williams is fucking, he and Richard Pryor, <laughs> God rest his soul, are fucking, they're jealous of this kid. He's not a huge fan of white people. He fucking just explodes on everybody. He equally, like, just goes at everybody. So it's not like one person, the other, the other. Like, look, he's been the butt of everybody's jokes. And he hasn't said shit. And now he's the guy coming back firing. And some of the stuff is a little far-fetched that he says, but a lot of it makes some sense. You know, I don't like the whole white thing, you know, white, black, anything. Like, he's big into that. You know, he's big into, like, all the, all the white people you work for. And, and, and he just gets he gets a little bit too much on that. But, look, he's got fucking axe to grind. Like, like you talk shit about him. Like, it just goes to show you, Bo. It's like, if you write something, hey, look, if we say something – and like somebody doesn't like it, come at us. It just it is what it is. It's not, you know, we don't mean anything bad by it. We just talk the way we talk. Now, he says like the thing about it that I don't sort of agree with is like, well, all these talk shows are, are waiting for black males to fail. And you're talking about black male. It's it's everybody. Ryan Leaf, the, the big time football player that fucking, you know, he he got gets fucking attacked. Everybody gets attacked. They talk shit about everybody. But sometimes, hey, look, like somebody fucking doesn't like it, they can go at it. And now he's got a platform. That day he started with 3,000 YouTube followers. He's up to 120,000. I mean, people are listening and giving him fucking money. Folks, yeah. I was on like a 14-minute fucking YouTube. <laughs> people are donating money. The fucking guy makes like a 1000 bucks a fucking a YouTube session minimum. Fucking great. What do you think about it, folks? Though? I mean, like, I like it. Like I said, I mean, I, I might not agree – with everything he says, but he's speaking his truth. And I think, yeah, look, I was a number one pick. So I don't see myself as a bust. I don't see myself as a star. I think I was, you know, an above average NBA player. Uh, you know, did I live up to the number one pick? 
if I'm being honest, probably not. Did I deserve to go number one at that time? Fuck yeah, I did. I, I dominated college for two years, well, a year, and the freshman year was still pretty good. And, you know, there were some circumstances that changed in my career with injury and, and, and whatever, and that's just something I had to adapt to. But, you know, I was 16 and 10 in my peak year and, and getting better, and then I had to adapt my game. That was just how it goes. But um, I cop shit for that, and I still do to this day. But I think Kwame, I think some of, I would agree with him. I think Stephen A. Smith early on went, they went a little crazy hard on him. And, and when Stephen A. Smith became a meme about talking about Kwame Brown in that infamous trade with the Lakers. Uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, YouTube it. Um, when he got traded in that Pau Gasol deal, it was getting borderline disrespectful. And, and they're paid to do that. They're paid to, to make headlines and clickbait, but it continued on after that. And it, it has been a running joke. And, and to Kwame's credit, he's been quiet. He hasn't said anything about it. Everyone I know that's played with him hasn't said a bad word about him. He would do whatever you asked. He would always have your back. By all reports, he can kicked the absolute shit out of five people at once. Um, an absolute animal when it comes to oh, fighting. Yeah. So the guy you definitely don't want to mess with. So I think he's he's speaking some truth there with his his mama's cooking and my mama's son speaks <laughs> as, as a guy I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to mess with. But I respect the fact that he he is himself. Look, he says some some things that are deemed inappropriate today, but that's him. He's not trying to sugarcoat. He's not working for a boss that's telling him what to say. He's like, this is me. This is what I think. You want you wanted to poke the bear, and I will say it's it's not as funny for some of these guys now. The rabbit's got the gun, you know. And um, I don't I don't I don't tune into Stephen Jackson's podcast or, or Matt Barnes, or I don't watch Rachel, Rachel Nichols. I don't watch any of that any of that stuff. That's something I don't I don't tune into. But if he feels like they're they're being hard on him and he wants to go at him, by all means. And I, I believe he's now received a season cease and desist letter from a lawyer. So he's ruffling some feathers. My advice to anyone else, did you see the Richard Jefferson video? On, uh, I think I tweeted it. it oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're asking. <laughs> RJ, saying, it, no, I got nothing oh, to yeah, say. Yeah. yeah, Rachel Nichols, uh, Matt Barnes and RJ on the, you know, the ESPN Talking Heads show, whatever the hell that's called. Nichols goes to Matt Barnes and he's acting like, I don't know why he's so mad. It's not my fault. I didn't pick him number one, blah, 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 blah. Rachel then goes to Richard. And Richard, he's like, yep, I got nothing. And smartest man in the world. No doubt. He had nothing. He, he knew he's probably got some, some baggage there that Kwame knows about somehow. And he's like, I'm good. I'm good. I love you, Kwame. Let's move on. <laughs> they got, yeah, folks, like back in the day, look, reporters could say whatever the fuck they want on players. Hey, look, a lot of time it's accurate. A lot of times they just evaluate you. And like, he's mad that like they go off on people and they talk, you know, they talk about players and, and it's a negative light. Let's be honest. If there wasn't any negative talk about players, white, black, red, brown, yellow, any, any player, like there'd be no fucking sports media. That's what sports media, like it's all about drama. It's all about backs, you know, backdoor stuff. It's all about like who's getting traded, the, the, you know, the shit that goes on in the walk. Like that's what they want to hear. That's what people tune in for. So yeah, like I understand that sometimes it's un, you know, it's, it's unwarranted and it's a little unfair at times. But that's just the, the the world we live in. But back in the day, reporters and, and these sports talk show hosts could say whatever they want. And there's no repercussion because the player really can't get to them. They didn't have that platform. Maybe if they bumped into them in the locker room and after the game, they'd have some they'd have some words. But now you can hop on YouTube, hop on your Instagram live, talk to your shit. But I'll tell you what, like, yeah, the guy sounds a little crazy, but he makes points. And he's fucking, you know, he's funnier than shit. He don't care. Like, he don't care who it is. Like, you know, I don't think he's crazy. I don't think he's like, like, you know, I don't think he's, he's just, it's his turn to talk and let him say whatever he says. He doesn't make sense on everything that he says. 
you know, it's like he threatens Stephen A. Smith to, to, to slap him on the side of the head. And then and then he'll go back like an hour later saying, I'm not violent. I don't say anything that's violent or, <laughs> you know, so he, he will go back and forth and, you know, like he will like sort of go both sides of it. But like, fuck it. It's what we this is what everybody asked for in 2022. Player empowerment, social media. You could have your own platform. It doesn't matter who you are. And he goes at you. And yeah, fuck it, mate. Hopefully, it gets a little repetitive at times with him attacking people you know, or just saying whatever he's saying. I hope he could stick with other stuff and continue to this like energy doing other stuff and, you know, and keeping people like motivated to go to his like page and stuff. I'll tell you what, though, the money thing is unbelievable. I was sitting there and I see like John A, $15. John, you know, you know, Sarah Q, $199. I'm like, what the fuck is this? We're doing and, it wrong. And like, we literally, need to do like, a, we need to do our pod live. We'll, we'll probably get bro, minus, we're doing minus this $200. Wrong. We'll get minus $200. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll give you 500 to stop. Yeah, they'll give they'll give us ten grand a week to fucking stop. But Kwame has he has some points though with with some things that really resonated with me was where he makes some points about why are we idolizing people that that rap about being gangsters and and rap about you know drugs and or even even singing it doesn't have to be rap it can be you know modern day pop. You go to a Billboard one hundred song and listen to the lyrics of some of these songs, whether they pop, hip-hop, rap, whatever it is, they're not the best messaging for young kids and, and the kids get caught by the, the, the beat and the music of this and singing along. A lot of times the kids don't even know what the hell they're singing about but they're, they, you know, you're glorifying things that are that are not good for a community of any sort. So I agree with him on that totally. The other thing I'll say is with Kwame, I didn't I didn't know his backstory, man, and he's he makes a very valid point of if I'm a bust, well, shit. You know, he, for those that don't know, he grew up very, very rough, very, very rough. Father went to jail. Uh, f- numerous family members have gone to jail. I believe his mother's still alive. I'm not too sure about that, but raised by a single mother. Um, he mentions he mentions on his own video his house was he basically lived in a trap house, which is a you know a, a crack house essentially. Police would come and raid the whole house and have him in handcuffs for three or four hours, destroy everything they had in the home, turn it upside down, and then just leave with with his mum, and he'd be stuck there by himself. For him to succeed and become you know, a number one pick. He he has a good message there. Like if if I can do it and I haven't made an excuse, which is hit on his on his on his YouTube channel, I think that's a story that should be told as well. Like we don't really hear about Kwame's story of his upbringing. I think he's you know he's hit it out of the park if that's if that's true that he's had that rough of an upbringing. So I would agree with him. You know, okay, he didn't live up to the number one pick, but he's twelve years in the league, made sixty, seventy, fifty, whatever he made million dollars. Um, I think that's a real success story that more people need to hear. Yeah. And that's the problem, Bogues, right? Like, most of this shit's fake. And, and, and again, nobody gives a fuck. Like, if you make it, if Kwame was 20 and 20, they would fuck, they would love him. They would, they would love him. And they would, they would treat him like a king. And because he didn't make it, and because, well, he made it, but because he wasn't a star, they, he was a butt of everybody's jokes. Nobody really bothered to get his story. Look, I probably said a few, you know, Kwame Brown jokes, no doubt about it, you know, in my time. But like being a bust as far as a first pick, cause again, that first pick stigma, but like nobody talked to him. Nobody, you know, nobody talked to him. And sometimes it's a rough business in the pros because like, again, if you've been around this, I've been around this. I've had assistant coaches that loved fucking players, worked them out 
eight times a fucking day. Then they get out of the lineup and somebody gets else gets in the lineup, they fucking leave that ghost, that kid. Yep. I've seen that happen a million times. And I guarantee that shit happened to him. One, like they're like eight, like these young kids that get mistreated. And look, look, I, I don't feel all that bad for the kid. He's an NBA pro. It just didn't happen for him. But he made 65 million and he figured out how to make it. He's a good kid. I spent a couple of months with him in Chicago working with him. I, I, I love my time with him. Didn't say much. He was a little introverted smiled a lot you know did whatever you asked him to do but like when those guys don't make it and they're not stars right off the bat especially at the first pick in the draft look at darko milicic and look at some of these other guys like that that went top three top four supposed to be a stud and just didn't make it right like then the coaches stop working with them as much they become a butt of everybody's joke they no one really takes them serious they're like those aspca dogs when you when you, when you hear sarah mclaughlin playing on those fucking commercials they're <laughs> yeah, like yeah. You know, th- th- that's how they're treated. And and like, and like then they go the rest of their career and they're sort of in a downward spiral as far as what they can do. Like I said, I think he could have been 15 and 8. If you took him by the hand a little bit, hey, look, not every player needs to be taken by the hand. Like, but some players do, especially an 18-year-old kid that just got drafted who only played high school down in Georgia. You know, like you gotta you gotta talk to that kid every day. You gotta like encourage him. He's gonna have those bad nights, and then you're gonna encourage that. Look, they were looking for a playoff spot. You know, MJ, look, he only had a couple of years to play. MJ wanted to maximize those years. So he wanted to win and, and he's a competitive dude he's not going to wait for a guy like that to develop doug collins wasn't going to develop a young kid who's the coach you know they were ready to try to win and get to the playoffs and look that again it's the pro basketball all these high school kids i don't care if like kids you know, young kids in australia want to play in the nbl like all these people love you but when you get to the league or whatever league you're going to be in, it's either you're going to make it or you're not. And no one cares how you make it and no one cares how you don't make it. They just fucking – they just look at your stats, look at what you did in your career, and they judge you on that. And people are going to love you and try to help you if you're good. But if you start flatlining a little bit and struggling, there's going to be all those people that wanted to help you. They'll ghost you in two fucking seconds, and then this is what's going to happen. Hey, look, the guy the guy's done well with his life. He made money. He's trying to give back to his community, you know, whatever. Again, we don't know a lot about him. I wish we did hear the story, you know. I, I wish we did hear his story. But, hey, look, it is what it is. He's, he's hot right now. And- don't stop. <laughs> it's, it's definitely entertaining. I mean, maybe shorten the videos. I don't have an hour and a half to get through all the good bits, but, uh, I mean, it's entertaining. As I hell. love when he laughs at himself. Oh, I yeah. love when he laughs at himself. Oh, it's awesome. It is awesome. And and one thing I will say about what you've said about the, those assistant coaches now, I've, I've been involved with – there was a notorious assistant coach that I've worked with over my career. We both know who it is. We won't, He shall remain nameless, and he would move from player to player until he found basically was their rebounding coach or workout guy and somehow he would just no no he passed him the ball I know the guy he passed the fucking ball he doesn't say too he he started off when he first got to a certain team he started off with just you you know trying to figure out who was the guy on the team and then lashed himself onto the two superstars and, and you know he's kept his job ever since and gets a, probably some credit that he probably shouldn't shouldn't get but that's just that's the like you said that's the industry um i know he was working with some players that uh didn't pan out too well or weren't playing too well and then all of a sudden i come to the gym one day and he's no longer rebounding for them and i'm like oh that's kind of interesting i'll just make a mental note of that and all of a sudden he's rebounding for that guy who's playing the bulk of the minutes and getting the most of the shots shocker but that is the brutal reality of the nba maybe you should have worked on your dribbling routine your half court shot <laughs> oh boy Oh, boy.
Um, let's move on. Kwame, we'll keep watching. Keep those videos coming. Great content. We love it. Um, and Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, if you guys get to Atlanta soon to see Kwame, live stream that fight. We want to see it. Okay, so one thing I, I uh, found interesting was NBA Digital announced an NBA bet content initiative, which will feature the debut of a weekly NBA TV show about betting and betting-focused content across NBA.com, the NBA app, and NBA social platforms. Now, why did I find this interesting? I just did an event last week. A lot of you would have saw on social media. You saw it pro. It was at Bondi Beach. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, mm-hmm. a launch party for Hennessy. Hennessy, the official spirit nice. of the NBA. That's the first official uh, alcoholic beverage, bar beer, that has been allowed to sponsor the NBA. So the NBA is pivoting. David Stern had some strict rules. He refused to do hard alcohol. He refused to do betting. Is the NBA doing all right, Pro? We're starting to see some 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 rule changes now. They've got an official spirit, which is fine. I've got no issue with it. And the NBA, the betting thing is an interesting one. To actually have a dedicated show around betting, uh, Pro in Australia, we have... Uh, you know, gambling, sport gambling is fully legal here. Every sporting telecast you watch has betting odds to the point where they actually had to put some rules in um, as to when and how long you can play ads because like for a while, man, it was like even on the news when they'd, they'd, they'd preview what games were coming up, it would have the, the 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 bunny odds for each team. And that's how kids ended up. As a kid, I grew up, it was like, let's say uh, Melbourne versus Sydney playing the football I knew who was a favorite just because of betting odds. As a, as a 9, 10, 11 year old kid, I'm like, ah, it's probably not the right the right thing to do. But um, how do you see all that, bro? Betting now now involved in the NBA and they're going to officially spruik it. Folks, money just revolves, everything's revolved around money, you know, everything. And it's a, and it's a multi billion dollar industry and the, and the NBA wants to capitalize on it. It just, it is what it is. There's nothing really we could do about it. It's co- It was coming you know, eight, 10 years ago where you knew that it was going to start coming into the NBA and trickling in because there's so much money to be made in everything with fantasy sports and, you know, in a lot, you know, in prop betting, you know, it's big on the Super Bowl and football in America. Like it, it, it just, it's just too much. It lines on it. Like you start seeing lines on every game. You start seeing the over under, you know, over under odds, this, this and that. And you just knew it was going to happen. It's just too much money to be made. And, you know, as they're going to legalize gambling more in the States, and there's only a few States in in the United States that, you know, uh, does gambling. It's funny, like um, Adam Silver came to talk to the Mavericks my last year there. And and he was saying about like how New York, it's not legal in New York, but it's legal in New Jersey. So people would like, you know, bet on their app on their phone, but they'd have to drive over the bridge to get to New Jersey to bet. And they made, you know, like this, this, a few years ago, this New Jersey betting establishment opened up a uh, casino or, or whatever it was, and it made as much money as like almost most of the, you know, the sports betting in Vegas, you know, those casinos, like, it's a huge thing and you know you, you expect the NBA to do it look David Stern was all about holding the line like he had some stat you know sort of the way that he felt as though the league should be run and he, he was going to hold the line on that Adam Silver is more like player friendly you know wants more people to like him and wants to open up a lot of these revenue streams and and his big thing is going to try to get that BRI up as much as he can and you know that's what he's that's what he's trying to do as far as the alcohol thing same thing like look everything's for sale folks it's just it's everything's for sale for a price and if you if you're willing to give enough money the nba is going to say yes to it to an extent of course so it doesn't it doesn't really shake me at all it doesn't really i'm not really surprised about it 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not knocking it. I have nothing against it, to be honest with you. I think mm-hmm. um, I'm not one of those guys that's like you should ban this, you should ban that. I think the people that get fired up about betting on TV, alcohol, all that kind of stuff—that's your job as a parent to talk to your child about, right? So you need to have those conversations with your kids. It's not up to LeBron James or you know Michael Jordan or whoever it is. Um, oh, I, my son saw him smoking a cigar, so now he wants to smoke a cigar. No. <laughs> It's up to you to tell your child. When you're an adult, yes, but as a child, that's bad for you. These are the reasons why you don't do that, X, Y, Z. And I think we lose sight of that. But look, if the NBA is going to make money out of it, so be it. If, if you know, I've, I have no issue with freedom of choice. Um, I think we get to a slippery slope <laughs> once we start trying to tell government that we need to ban fast food ads because it's bad for our kids or we need to ban cigarette ads or whatever it is. It, it becomes a real slippery slope because then the government's going to start dictating what you can do with your everyday life. Whereas I think that's a, that's your own personal responsibility number one and number two is it's a parent or an adult's responsibility to tell to tell a child what's right or wrong yeah i agree uh, i agree and look if it's not going to be one thing it's another if it's not gambling that you know somebody could fall victim to it's going to be drugs or it's going to be alcohol or it's going to be cigarettes it's going to be one of these things and as parents we got to continue to try to you know sort of get you know try to shield our kids the best and educate the best we can as far as the nba look they're going to do what's best for the nba you know, we know how they make their money. We know how the money split, you know, and we know how the players try to get their inflated salaries is how you got to inflate the money that's coming into the, you know, the kick and everybody's trying to make as much money as possible. So everybody gets, you know, gets rich on this thing and, and, and continues thing going forward. And gambling is just too much of money. It's, you know, too much money going to everybody else's hands and they're trying to get a piece of it. So, you know, might as well, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, I think it's, it is what it is. Like I said, we'll, we'll watch that space. It will be interesting to see how they run that show on NBA TV and how they how they spruik all the odds. But I'm um, looking forward to seeing how they play that. One thing you sent me is overtime. Elite have signed two brothers, Matt and Ryan Bewley. Uh, I pronounced that right, but apparently Matt is ranked number three by ESPN for the class of 2023. Ryan ranked number 12. They'll both forego high school and college eligibility. Are they Are they uh, juniors in high school? Is that right? Yeah, so they're going to go, from what I believe, they're going to go junior and senior year wow. at Overtime Elite, and they're going to they're going to forego their college eligibility and, and, and sign with them, you know, sign with Overtime. Seven figures over the two-year range of the deals so assuming five six hundred grand a year um that's a pretty big pay packet for you know a 10th grader <laughs> essentially you're doing pretty well if you can get that out of 10th out of 10th grade but it just shows you they've, they've got some cash if they're willing to pay this they've got two brothers who are ranked you know the top 25 high school the class 2023 uh, maybe it's a start of something special and we've, we've spoken about the overtime elite and looking forward to seeing how it's going and this is a pretty good start for them yeah the problem with that bogues is like look you know they start this thing in like september they got like three people signed and they a kid that's supposed to go to lsu uh said no to them because he didn't want to play because all they're going to do is play against prep schools international teams they'll probably play against junior college teams you know, they're going to be in Atlanta, and then I heard they're going to go to L.A. as well. There's going to be like four teams. They're trying to get like 30 kids, 35 kids to, to, to get signed. And again, I just worry about the structure. I worry about the development. I think that they'll try to get younger kids because I think that the um, the G League is still going to get three or four players that they just signed one for a million dollars a few days ago. You know, they're, they're going to start you – know, they'll keep signing players. And look, they've got – the G League's not perfect, but at least they'll, you know, 
they'll play against G League teams. They'll play against, you know, the play- people signing into the G League. It'll be more competitive environment where you're, you're only playing against prep schools and you don't know about the medical or the development you're going to get. And the problem that's going to happen, Bogues, is like they might – a bunch of these kids might say no and then the players that are supposed to sign with these mid-major schools, these smaller schools that really need to go to college for four years if they want to become a professional athlete, maybe overseas – or, 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 or even a G League player, they're going to sign with these guys for a hundred grand, a hundred fifty grand. And then what, are, what's going to happen to them once their time's up? So, you know, hey, look, they're going to spend a lot of money on this. They're going to try to outbid the G League. That's going to be a battle. You're going to start seeing that where the G League's going to, you know, battle, you know, battle overtime as far as trying to get these players. Overtime signs the younger players. The G League only signs the guys that are going to go into college to forego that first year in college. It'll be interesting. I, I just worry about the kids. I do. Like, I, I think it's great that they're going to make this money. Don't get me wrong. But again, we talked about Kwame Brown earlier. If this shit ain't done right with these kids and they develop the right way, if it's going to be a glorified AAU team with not a lot of structure and yeah, you get paid, but if you're not really being educated on how to be a pro and how to do these things and these life skills that you need... That's why I think college is good for the kids. Yeah, obviously they're not getting paid or whatnot, but like they get the social aspect. They get the, they're playing, they're playing in big games. They're, they get a brand based on like that. We talked about the, you know, before about the, the fan base of the college. Like they got a good structure and a good support system where I just worry about how this thing is going to be structured. And I worry about how many players they're going to sign. You know, if they get, if this is going to be a structured week for these kids, you know, you know, I, we, nobody knows. That's the thing. They do have money behind them. All they want is content. They're just going to try to get the content, try to put the stuff online. They're going to try to put the stuff on Instagram and YouTube and, and every other social media, you know, outlet they can. But I just worry about the kids on this stuff. They'll make a lot of money, but I'm not worried about the top kids. These two guys are taught, you know, highly ranked kids that they'll probably be fine. But I'm not worried about those guys. I'm worried about the mid and the lower guys that sign in this league because they're they're forced to try to go down their list if they're not getting people. And then what happens to those kids once their time with overtime is up? Yeah, and the support network. You make a valid point. You know, the support network around them, player development coaches, um, you know, mental health people that can help with mental health or adjustment life away from home. Do you know what have they mentioned anything around um what would a, one of the lower lower paid guys get is there is there like a, a floor that they can't go below or i heard it starts at six it's six figures so i, I heard everybody gets a hundred grand or more Minimum, so they could yeah. give them whatever they want yeah so they get gotcha. about a hundred grand yeah so it's not a it's like let's say there's a guy that's ranked 150th um <laughs> you know, on the high school ranking they couldn't give him like 50 grand to drop out could they Probably not, but to be honest with you, know, they probably can't. I mean, how? Like, what kind of what kind of fucking moron would do that? Uh, although there's a lot. Yeah, but, there is a lot. You know, I know there people are lot, desperate. Bro. Yeah, they're and like you said. Yeah, that team, for six that team needs to fill their roster, <laughs> and time is of the essence. Like you said, September. If they <laughs> they, start, they might only have two teams yeah. that are eligible for the league. You know. Yeah, I agree. Look, it is what I don't know. I just like I said, those kids are gonna get fucked in the deal. The lower end kids that yeah. need college, that need college, but. Yeah, it's unbelievable though, man. Seven fucking figures. Imagine a 16-year-old kid with seven figures. 
That's nuts. Living at home still, mum doing your laundry and cooking for you. You just got a wallet full of cash. <laughs> mum is cooking, brother. Mum is cooking. cooking. My mum is son. Uh, I caught a uh, some numbers on the ESPN telecast of the Lakers-Warriors game, which we'll talk about in fact or fake news, but just wanted to mention this quickly. Caught my eye. The playing game, Lakers versus Warriors, average audience of 5.618. Million viewers peaking at almost 6.2 million. That's up from 190% versus 2020 playoffs. It was the most watched NBA game on ESPN since the 2019 Western Conference Finals, which I believe was Golden State and Houston when I was there. So that's pretty interesting that a playing game um, has accomplished their greatest numbers. It goes to show you that um, two big markets get the eyeballs. Yeah, I mean... It's, you know, you hear all this stuff. I don't know who to believe with the, you know, with the ratings and things, you know, Ethan Strauss does a great job sort of breaking that down as far as trying to give accurate numbers on that. But it's unbelievable that a playing game is their number one, number one hit. But again, that, that's why that one and out deal, sometimes series like is, I got like series is. Don't get me wrong, like a six game, seven game, but that one, so the NCAA tournament, win or lose or go home sort of scenario i think people like to tune into it so it, it's um it's interesting what what do you think about it but well, for the aficionado you're right for the basketball rabid fan that loves basketball seven game series the more basketball the better right but for a guy that's or a, or a girl that's on the fence likes basketball but isn't in love with it no one's watching a whole seven game series especially the first round of nba playoffs you, you're gonna watch like, you're not watching a, a one versus eight. You're not going to be like, I need to watch every one of these games. <laughs> you're generally going to watch, yeah. if it goes five, six, seven, you're going to watch the tail end of those playoff games. And we, and we see that with ratings, that the, the spikes go up towards the end of a series if it happens to go six or seven games. If it's going to be a sweep, man, those, those those numbers drop off for game two, three, four, five, because or if it's going to be four, one, they drop off because people know, look, you know, Brooklyn's going to beat Boston or Philly's going to beat Washington, whatever it is. So I liked it. I think the playing was a huge success for the NBA. Um, I give them credit for thinking outside the box a little bit and trying something new. Like we've mentioned, it, it, it has limited tanking to only two or three teams in each conference now rather than seven or eight battling for it. I like that. And the games were pretty much competitive. The Memphis-Golden State game was competitive. The Lakers-Golden Lakers, game, Lakers -Golden State was competitive. East Coast, not so much. Their playing games were were, were both were all pretty much blowouts for the most part so that they weren't too close. But I liked it. I think it was a success and I think we will continue to see the playing game be a, a yearly fixture for the NBA. Yeah, I agree. I sent a video to to you during the week. Something I just wanted to touch on real quick. It's um, for, for those with Twitter at Randy J Cruz C R U Z. He tweeted a uh, an intro of the 1992 Knicks versus Bulls Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the TV intro of, of what was played back then, and it was basically the whole storyline of Patrick Ewing getting hurt in that series, Michael Jordan struggling a little bit, Michael versus Michael and Scotty versus um, Patrick and John Stark, all that kind of stuff, and it was. Just something. I don't know if it was unbiased because it was how old was I then? Eight, eight, nine years old. It just brought back great memories for me. But just how simple it was. It was selling the game, and then halfway through it, that that NBA Jam style music came on, and then it ramped up to I think Michael Jordan arriving in his car, his Ferrari, and then the team bus arriving from New York, and just it just then you know, the, the music grows and you, I almost got goosebumps just listening to it. I just want to bring it up because I think it's so much better than the shit we see today. And I might be getting old or probably probably am getting old and 
back in my day type guy, but it was so awesome to watch how, how it was simply about the game. Whereas now it's like, oh, look at look at this guy. He's wearing an Armani sweater and, and um, these these nice shoes and look at his outfit. And, and it's like, yeah, that's great, but I want to watch a basketball game. Whereas this video, I mean, it just brought back great memories for me, bro. Yeah, both. That was an unbelievable time in the game. It's funny, like the marketing was okay. It was decent. It was getting better. You know, they were trying to do more. But, like, it was about the game. It was about the teams. It was about, you know, it was about the marquee players, of course. And that's it. It was sort of like, it was that, that's what they were pushing. Now it's like pushing, it's just pushing some of the other stuff, the individual, like you said, what they're wearing or what this person said about this person on social media or what the, you know, the trade bait or, you know, anything sort of, it just, like back then the marketing was okay, product was great. Now the product is okay and the marketing, that's all they care about is marketing, 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 you know, and it's just, it's a little bit less enjoyable because it's just sort of about, sometimes it's about, a lot of the times it's about the wrong fucking thing. And t- instead of just being about the game and just getting excited about the game, now it's more individualized. It's more like the player. I don't know, it's more individual. And I know the players are the main feature of this whole thing, but like, it's not really about the game anymore. It's about a million other things. But it was also, it was, it was also Bulls versus Knicks. It wasn't MJ versus Patrick where we've seen that yeah. shift today where everything has to be an individual battle where it's like, well, hang on a second. There's still two teams going at it. Yes, we want to see the superstar players. Most people that support those yeah. teams are well aware who the hell the superstar is. They've just put a huge emphasis on like the last game yesterday was Steph versus Morant. You know what I mean? That's what it was all about. And you're just like, Yes. Yeah, we get that, but it's still there's still a beauty of those battles within a battle that that just you know the simple marketing for me, the crappy old school '90s graphics. It was just awesome to see. Whereas now <laughs> you got you got fucking fireworks shooting in the ceiling, you got smoke, you got you know all these pyrotechnics, and it's I think it's just overdone a little bit. And and hey, let me know. Am I am I am I getting too old? Am I getting too old for this world? I probably am. And so be it. I'll die on this hill. But I I just enjoyed that old school mentality, and and I was it was part of my childhood in fairness. So it did bring back some some great memories agreed yeah no doubt it was it was cool to see it's just like it just tells you it goes to show in anything simplicity is the best thing it is anything. just simplicity just be just be simple no, you don't need fireworks on fucking everything man <laughs> you know yeah I, stick that stick that stick that to once a fucking year you know yep. and, yeah for new years and, and that's it you know. but if you want to see that video at randy j cruz c-r-u-z on twitter I retweeted it a couple of days ago, so scroll through there, you'll see it. It's actually, if you were an 80s baby or a 70s baby, you'll thoroughly enjoy watching that. And even if you're, a, you know, uh, someone that's only 17, 18, watch, watch how, how, the, how the greats used to do it. Moving on, useful or useless stats. First one's a serious one, which I thought was good. Tony Snell, officially the first ever player to become a 50-50-100 player. Minimum 100 attempts total, 50% from the field, 50% from three or above, and 100% from the free throw line. Now, he only shot 11 free throws. 11 for 11 hasn't missed a free throw in two years small sample size but still pretty impressive and, and something that probably won't be matched in a long long time um so tony snell officially one of the best snipers in in nba history fucking guy can shoot the ball bogues i'm a little biased as we've known i'm officially a fucking a fucking stalker as tony snell but he's uh <laughs> it isn't a, it, it is a pretty cool thing what he did shooting the ball like like I said, simplicity. The guy knows his role, you know, catch and shoot, catch and shoot, catch and shoot, knows what spots to do. He makes free throws. And here's a guy that sort of been bouncing around a bunch, you know, went to Detroit, went to, uh, he was, he's been in Detroit. He's been in Chicago. He's, 
And look, he could have just given the thing up and just sort of like, like I said, that ASPCA shit, you know, about just like getting beat up a little bit early in his career and not getting where he wants to get to. Fucking guy just gets it done in the summer, continues to be a pro. And then fucking guy, you know, so like you said, small sample size, but pretty damn fucking good. One other thing I did not fail to mention about Tony Snell, for those that don't know that don't know the game very well, you might look at his stats and say, well, five, six points a game, what's the big deal? When you have a guy shooting the ball at that clip out there, the spacing that he creates by default is what's very valuable for your team. So all of a sudden, Trey Young's getting double teamed, they're blitzing his pick and rolls. You put uh, Tony Snell on that wing or that corner. His guy is not budging to help. He's not budging at all. So now you're basically playing, you know, two other defenders are guarding three other guys. Makes life very hard for your defenses. So just a little small tidbit for our basketball followers out there that probably wouldn't realize why we think, you know, shooting at that clip is so important, even though it's only six points a game. Next one, this one's this one's a gem, Sports Center. <laughs> this is of the course. Tweet, this is the tweet they put out. This full stop is full stop, wild full stop. Jason Tatum has scored 50 points three times this season. There's been a no-hitter thrown on two of those nights, pro. <laughs> awesome. Like, seriously. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I, I have no fucking idea. I, I have a bowel movement every fucking third Tuesday after I have a fucking cupcake. I, I, yeah, I mean – it is fucking pretty. It is pretty cool, though, to be honest with you. I mean, there's been a, a throw, you know, a no hitter thrown, you know, two of the nights. But uh, like, I don't give, I don't really give two flying fucks. But again, you know, in 24 hours, you got to put out this content. Mm. You know, what are you well, at least do? make it at least wait till it's three no hitters. So at least it's at least it's even with his three fifty point games. But uh, yeah. just a stupid useless stat sports center. Get get rid of that. One last one I added late. Do you know this, bro? The, the Golden State Warriors are the first playoff team in NBA history to be eliminated from the playoffs by a ninth seed. Huh. Hey, of course. <laughs> a ninth seed? Of course. They got eliminated Fucking by great. a ninth seed. That is unbelievable, isn't it? It's never yeah, happened. It's yeah. never happened before. No, never happened before. And you know, like I said, that guy or girl that that came up with that should get a fucking raise. I mean, you know, the 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 years you had to go back to figure that fucking shit out was, <laughs> you know, magnificent. You know, Nobel Prize to you, Nobel fucking prize for yeah. the fucking person who came up with that shit. Very good one, very good one. I like that one a lot. Some NBL Australian news, real quick. Lauren Jackson Pro. I'm not sure if you follow the WBA too much, but she will become the first Australian to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of Fame. Career average in the WNBA, 18.9.7.7 rebounds with Seattle. Uh, played there for, I think, 11 or 12 years. The pinnacle of Australian basketball, especially on the female side. The Sugar Island is the greatest ever, already is for that matter, and was, was a very highly skilled player. Came through the AAS, was one of the first female bigs to be able to put it on the floor, shoot the three, do a bit of everything. So just wanted to give her a quick shout out. Not sure if you know or saw too many of her games, Pro. I did not. I did not. I don't uh, follow the WNBA as much as I should. But hey, look, anytime you can get into the Hall of Fame, averaging 18, you know, 19 and 8, basically, you know, my hat's off to her, man. That's that's an unbelievable career to do and, and to, to be – you know that respected by your peers that you get in the Hall of Fame is fantastic. That's that's great. Uh, anybody who gets into the Hall of Fame on anything, it's an unbelievable you know accomplishment for all the hard work that she probably she put in throughout her whole career. That's 
that's great. Congratulations to her. Yeah, congratulations, Lauren Jackson. She's, she's still heavily involved in Australian basketball, working for Basketball Australia right now. Does a lot of good things in the WNBL as well, helping that league out. So enjoy that ride, Lauren. Well-deserved. Next one we have in the NBL, Josh Giddy has been officially shut down by the Adelaide 36ers or by his agent and himself. Right decision for me, pro. It was his agent. Yeah, but it's the right it decision. Look, they're not they're not in a position to compete for NBL finals. They're, they're basically mathematically, I'm pretty sure they're out and they have to win every game by 50 for the remaining of their roster, which they're not going to do. They're officially eliminated. There's there's no point in him being out there in dead rubber games that, that don't matter. So I like the fact that he waited. You know, we spoke to him on the podcast and I think we asked him this question about, will you shut it down eventually? And he said, look, he wants to continue to compete and fight for a playoff spot. And now they're not in a playoff spot. So I've got no issues with this pro. Yeah, look, the whole fucking draft process is full of shit anyway. You know, like shut it down. Don't shut it down. Like he's going to go through this process and become an NBA player and figure it out. He might become really good. He might not. Who knows? And this whole process where agents really like, oh, you got to do it this way. You got to do this. They don't really need to do whatever. Like he's going to be in some fucking gym in LA shooting around. Like we said, you know, working out, staying in shape, get, go to a few workouts. You know, they can't go to pro days, so they can't really go to his workouts anyway. They just, NBA sent a memo like last week saying that NBA scouts can't go to these agent workouts anymore, only the pre-draft camp. I think they're trying to get more players to go to the pre-draft camp in West. Like most of these players don't go to Chicago. Yeah, no one goes anymore. Just, no one goes. Nobody fucking goes. No, <laughs> nobody goes. It's like, you know, it's like my 21st birthday party. It was me and fucking, you know, eight pounds of cake and that was about it. But like, <laughs> you know, but like, no, like it's just a fucking shit show. Like, you know, he'll go through these workouts and whatever. And, and I get it. Like, like who wants to see him, God forbid, get hurt in, in, a, in a meaningless game? You know, that I'd rather that I'd rather him do it that way. Like shut down that stuff rather than like not work out for anybody or not do this and not do that. I always like to have fighters fight. You know, if, 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 if I'm working with a player, like, look, you got nothing to hide. It's not like he's got anything to hide. He just doesn't want to get hurt. It's, it's cool. Like let him shut it down. It is what it is. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll go to LA, work out with some Instagram trainer and get drafted and have a good career, man. Like this whole draft process, he's only going to go through it once. You know, you don't want anything catastrophic to happen. So yeah, just go in the gym, work out, be comfortable, go to these workouts and then the draft's going to happen. And then, and then five years from now, you'll look back and you're going to be like, why the, why, why, why the fuck did I care so much about this draft? Like, you know, it, it was, Whoever I get, you know, it doesn't matter where I get drafted. I'm either going to make it or I'm not. So, yeah, good for him. Yep, good luck to Josh. NBL is pretty close to being set in the top four. The top three are pretty much set, in my opinion. Melbourne United, Perth Wildcats, Southeast Melbourne look to have locked up the first three spots. Uh, mathematically, Southeast Melbourne could drop if they completely implode, and our guy Brokeroff implodes for that team. But no, they're doing pretty well, and, and we've seen Brokeroff's goggles. You like those, pro? Well, I like the Brokeroff got his coach a fucking extension. The accountant just getting guys paid. It's because he's coming off the bench. He bought into the system, bro. That's why he got the extension. <laughs> hey, look, the fucking accountant is unbelievable. I, we need him to get a fucking goggle, uh, a fucking goggle sponsorship. Can somebody give the fuck the guys? You know, the, the guy will do your taxes for you. He'll make threes for you. Whatever you want, the fucking guy to do. Get him paid. Get fucking him paid. accountant. <laughs> Broker off for president. Broker off for president. Our fourth place. Is heating up. Uh, we've got Sydney, the Sydney Kings, the Illawarra Hawks, and the Brisbane Bullets all are looking like it's going to be a race up until the last game. There's about five or six games left, respectively, for those teams. They actually play each other 
Uh, they all play each other once or twice, which makes it even more interesting. So the fourth spot's going to be the exciting race. The rest is kind of already determined. That's about as f- much fun as we currently have for NBL in Australia. We'll watch that space. Fact or fake news, Pro? What do you have? Mm-hmm. Any game in the first round of the NBA playoffs will draw a larger audience than the NBA playing game between LA the Golden State that we spoke about earlier. Fake news. That game that we just spoke about, they got those five, six million views. I don't think a first round game will get that, um, even if it goes to five or six. So I would say fake news on that one. Yeah, I don't I don't see a game. I don't see much excitement at most of these. The only thing that I can see happening of that is if LA goes game seven, you know, in the first round. Like the Lakers, like being a champion and seeing um, seeing LeBron have a chance to get eliminated after winning the championship the year before. That's the only way I can see it. So I'm going to say fake news because, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I, I say fake news as well. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of go with you on that. And I don't think – I'll go another one. I don't think we'll hit those numbers till the conference finals. That's my prediction. Yeah, I'm not – yeah, I, I'm not great on the rating stuff, but um, – I agree with you on that. I think I think there was such excitement to see, you know, Golden State trying to battle it out against LeBron, chance that LeBron maybe have to like play, you know, they have to go, you know, play another game in in, in a brink of elimination. I think there was a lot of excitement with that, that one game deal we talked about. So yeah. So we'll see. Next. Rick Carlisle will keep his job if he fails to get out of the first round of the NBA playoffs again. What do you think? Uh, fact, he'll keep his job. Um, I think we've spoken about this at length. He um, hasn't gotten out of the first round, either got, either got, into, got to the playoffs or gotten out of the first round since the championship year um, in 2012. So, yeah, look, they, they have their work cut out for him. They're up 1-0 right now, so he's got a chance, but I, I, don't, think he's, uh, I don't think he's getting fired for a while. You? Yeah, I agree with that. Look, you know, obviously I got fired by the team. So, like, you know, if I was jumping on, people say I'm, you know, trying to fucking, you know, throw a little cheap shot. But, no, like, with with the whole playoff thing, in my opinion, and not to jump the gun and try to fire coaches if they don't, you know, if they don't go in the playoffs and they don't go deep in the playoffs. Look, they made the playoffs. This is the fifth time since the championship. And we I talked about this in earlier pods, but, like, they never had a chance to win. Like, if they were higher seeds and they were losing to lower seeds, I can see having a problem, you know, and, and, and replacing the coach. But like the first time they made the playoffs after the championship year, they played San Antonio. They actually got up in the series. You know, Vince Carter made a shot game six to, 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 you know, bring it to game seven. And then we just got blown the fuck out at San Antonio. So they didn't really have a chance there. They played Houston with that Rondo series. I mean, we had no fucking chance. Like there was no scenario that we were going to win a game. Then we go Oklahoma City. Again, we just outmatched Oklahoma City. You had Durant, you know, you had Durant, you had Westbrook. It just, it wasn't going to work. There's no chance. Maybe you could steal a game. Then they played the Clippers last year. You know, they played the Clippers last year. I didn't think they had a chance to, to win. But they took them to six games. That's great. And then this year, I didn't, I don't think they're going to win. I think they'll probably lose in six. It's great that they, they were up 1-0. They might even win. But even if they lose, like, what I would do is if they lost, I'd be like, all right, next year, we're, we're burning a little daylight now with Luca with, with the contract stuff. We'll get his extension done this summer, but we're going to have to ex- get out of the first round next year. You know, that's our expectation. Look, they got hit by COVID, you know, like they're a lower seed. They're playing one of the better teams in the league. You know, I, I don't expect them to win. And if they lose, 
it's uh, unless he had like no control of the team, Luca didn't like him. Those guys are bashing heads publicly. None of that stuff's happening. So I would say, I would say, look, if he doesn't make it, the, I'd say next year. Look, the the goal is we got to get out of the first round next year. That's that's the goal with this team. That is fair. All right, Bogues. The Clippers will go further than the Lakers in this year's NBA playoffs. The LA battle. This one's a hard one. I would probably say I think the Lakers go further. I think they do. I think um, I think they're going to get some momentum, some health back. I'm just not sold on the Clippers, even though I, I picked them to go pretty deep. But today, not great signs for me. I think they're still a little bit clunky. So I'm going to say fake news. LA. The LA Lakers will go further. Hey, look, if this was yesterday, I mean, look, we got to play the averages, right? If this was yesterday and, and the game didn't get played yet, I'd probably say the Clippers would go further. But, you know, from what I saw today, I think Clippers are – I still think they'll win the series. But, like, they're down 1-0 right now and you don't know if they're going to win. I would probably say that the Lakers will go further. You know, because, again, I like I like the Lakers matchup in Phoenix. And if, if they can't fucking right the ship in Clipperville – and they, you know, if they go down 2-0 going to Dallas, it's a, prob- a fucking problem. So, yeah, I would say the Lakers go further than the Clippers. I agree with you. Recency bias never fails. <laughs> no doubt. All right, Q&As real quick. Hey, Bogues and Pro, absolutely love both the B-Ball and My Journey Pods. Bogues, I got to watch you play against the Bullets and throw out a massive putback dunk. Absolutely sick. When I watch the – AFL, footy pro, our Australian rules football, it often gets brought up if a player has basketball background. My question is, do you think there is a genuine transferable skill between the sports or is that just general commentator bullshit? While we're talking about footy, I'll pay good good money to see a video of pro reacting to uh, AFL's biggest hits. So that's uh, on YouTube. You can watch those pro or maybe, maybe selfie video yourself for Ben in Brisbane. Thank you for that. Uh, the, the skills pro, look, I don't know, you probably need to go on YouTube to familiarize yourself with the game, but there are some skills that are transferable. Uh, passing is the biggest one, is just learning how to, in AFL football, how to kick to a to a point as a guy is running full speed so you don't kick it to him, obviously, because by the time you kick it to him, he's going to be... The ball's going to be behind him. You need to kick it ahead. Basketball's the same. Someone's running or making a back cut. You don't throw the ball at them because they're going to be at a different spot when the ball gets there. So learning that skill is important. Um, ball skills, I think I'm a big advocate. I think pro is as well. We've spoken about this at length of playing numerous different sports as a young kid, different ball sports. You know, Footballs bounce differently to basketballs, to soccer balls, to tennis balls, to golf balls, whatever. Um, I think it really helps um, your skills with handling a basketball or a football if you do other sports as well. Um, so I'm a big advocate of that. So I think it is transferable. I do watch a fair bit of AFL and it does get on your nerves a little bit because it's mentioned every time there's a former basketballer that's playing AFL, all the commentators say your pro is former basketballer, former basketballer, former basketballer. And you're just like, we get it. Like he played basketball, he's now playing Australian rules football. You don't have to mention it every time he gets a, a touch of the ball. So it does get a little a little bit too much, but that's just um, how it is today, pro. Folks, in basketball in the, in the United States, right, like I, I've seen this happen a few times. I don't know if there was ever anybody who actually made the switch, but if somebody was like a, you know, like six, seven, undersized four man or even a five at some levels, really strong jack dude. You know, was you know was a decent basketball player, but didn't have a chance to really go pro in basketball. They a lot of times they'll try to like turn them into a football player. So like, does that happen in Australia, or do they play both sports throughout their whole development and then they like 
you know, and then they decide they're going to play a, a Australian rules football. Do you ever have a guy that plays maybe AIS basketball, 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 and then maybe just not good enough? And then yeah. some, you know, some Australian rules football scout says, you know what? Let's give this fucking guy some chance, maybe a development, give him a minimum contract and try to develop him. Is that sort of happen in, in Australia as well? 100%. Yeah, it happens. So most kids that play both sports at a young age can play both. Um, but the problem yeah. is that the sports are generally played on a Saturday and a Sunday, so they conflict with each other. So there comes a point where once you get to 15, 16, you got to make a choice. Um, there have been a huge number of, of basketball players that um, continue on with basketball, and then it doesn't pan out. Tom Wilson, former team out of mine, shout out to him at the Sydney Kings. He you know, wasn't playing as well as he thought he should have or getting the opportunity in basketball. So he stopped and actually went back. And, and now he's finally cracked the first squad with the Collingwood Magpies, who are one of the, they're like the LA Lakers, essentially, of the AFL. Um, so there is a lot of kids that do that. And I think it transfers back that way easier than it does the other way. So I think if you choose for football at 18, play there for, for a year or two, then try to come back to basketball. I think that ever rarely happens. I play with a guy that did that, Craig Moller and the Sydney Kings. He's still there. Um, that's very, very hard. The other way is a bit easier. Australian rules football, bigger squads pro. You know, you've got, you've got, I think, 18 on the field plus bench. And then you've got, it's similar to the NFL, right? You've got a squads of 40 or 50 guys, um, with your second team. So there's a lot more higher chance of you at least getting a contract than there is in basketball. So it does happen. It's interesting to watch. Um, the skills do transfer. And it's also overblown by commentators. So I agree with all those things. Next one we have here. Hey, mate, probably more one for you rather than pro, but I wanted to ask. The NBA gives you so much fame, fortune, and all that. It can set you up for life, but what does it take in return? What does a decade of having the shit beaten out of you for 10 months of the year do to a body? That's from Darren in Bendigo. And this is a very good question because it, it's you've hit it on the head. You know, we... um. We are treated very, very well throughout our careers. We make a lot of money. We see, I got to see the world before I was 21 years old, went to pretty much every continent in the world, saw different countries, um, met famous, influential, powerful, great business people, whoever, you name it, met them. So the opportunities that we get from this, this great game are, you know, enormous, but there are ramifications and there are drawbacks and they are now. Um, you know, my body is, is, is sore some days from doing nothing. And that's just, um, Something I got to live with. I got to continue to work out and continue to maintain my body, go to physio, do all that fun stuff. And it was a main decision for my retirement too, um, looking back. So the body definitely takes a beating, but we know we know that going in and, and most people that are in high impact sports know the risk. It's it's much the same of, of people working everyday shifts in warehouses or factories, lifting heavy shit every day. They, they know the risks. Like my back's probably going to give out at one point, but this isn't my job. So the only lucky thing we have is we make a shitload of money doing it. So I try to look after myself as much as I can, try to get in the weight room three times a week, do some cardio, do some swimming. Um, it's just something you have to continue to do. The guys that struggle the most, we see a lot of these old school players um, that Pro and I have spoken about. Some of these coaches don't don't walk too well that have played in the NBA in the 60s and 70s. That's because they they generally stop working out and stop doing anything physical when they stop playing. Unfortunately, I'm not going to do that. Um, I just can't afford to. But um, you, you'd agree with that, right, Pro? Yeah, Bogues. It, it's a especially the big guys. They take a pounding, and maybe not now because you know there's really no big guys that play inside anymore. But like. You know, you just take a pounding, your joints take a pounding, your back takes a pounding, your knees, your ankles, you know, all these small little injuries that you get over a 10, 12 year period, it, it tends to affect without question. And like you said, the players that sort of don't stay active, you know, they tend to gain weight, they tend to, you know, have bad eating, you know, 
and they really struggle with that. And then the care they get, look, when you're an MBA facility, like, you know, you can get, even if you're a staff member, you can get, you know, you can get treatment by the trainer. You, sometimes you get massage, you get stretched out, you get all these, you know, like the top of the top line things to work with, like machinery, equipment, staff, medical. And then you, then you, you don't have access to that anymore when you stop playing. It, you tend to sort of go south with a lot of your stuff. So you have to maintain a regiment, uh, like you said, to try to stay, get in the gym, work out, keep your body going, keep your, you know, keep your eating to a, you know, to a, to a minimum the best you can and, and just try to be healthy. But, you know, it's tough, man. Like when you, when you don't have access to those um, assets anymore, when you're a pro athlete and now you're just a normal citizen and you're not a hall of famer where you, you know, they'll just invite you back and you can just use a facility whenever you want. Sometimes it's tough. And sometimes a lot of players go over the deep end with that stuff, but yeah, you definitely get beat up, especially if you're going to play a long time. Yep. Risk versus rewards. So you also, you know, there comes a conversation where you are older like myself and the conversation I had with myself was I could play another year or two before I retired, right? So I could have played another year, another two, but I knew I'd struggle through it. I knew it'd be a lot of treatment, a lot of extra time I have to put into into time away from the floor. But what what is that going to then do for me when I'm 40, 45? It's probably going to make me feel more like I'm 50, 55. So that was part of the other decision. There's a lot of athletes out there that some are smart with that and know, know that decision is, is, is ready to be made. And there's some that will not retire under all costs. They don't want to go home. They don't want to have everyday life. And that can actually hurt you as well because you're going to be limping a whole lot more sooner rather than later. Thanks for that question. Next one, we have just a quick question regarding the Boomer squad. We have a strong team with a lot of NBA experience, but I do wonder if the squad is too defensively minded. Granted, Coach Gorgian, pro, I don't expect you to know too much about him, is a defensive minded coach who runs a very disciplined style of basketball. But will some of the NBA players in the squad buy into his style or will Coach Gorgian tweak his way in order to keep egos at bay matthew holamby i think he's had a question before so thanks for that question again look we are i think defense is going to have to be a staple whenever you've got ben simmons out there you, you definitely have to focus on the defensive end because he's an, he's an all, all nba defender one of the best defenders in the world can guard multiple uh, positions matisse thiebel the same so we've got a lot of defensive tools and you you'd be silly not to utilize that um as far as gorgeous style i think he'll he'll allow a lot of input from the group there's a lot of veterans in this group that have been around for a while I think, um, you know, it's just going to be up to Brian Gorgian's biggest role that, like we've spoken about, is going to be people management and rotations. Um, I don't think the X's and O's are going to be overly important. I think the style is going to be pretty simple ball movement, try to get Ben in the open floor as much as possible. Defensively, we'll have switching lineups. So it's, it's not rocket science as far as what we're going to run. His biggest issue um, is going to be, as you said, um, maintaining the egos and the everyday personalities and one guy gets screwed with minutes, making sure that he's still going to be buying into what he needs to do and staying ready. So that's why I always stress about a balanced roster for people out there that are always like, well, how could this guy get cut? He's better than this guy. It doesn't always work that way in a, in a, in a team environment for role-playing guys especially. So I think we have the squad to, to do something special. It's just a matter of who plays? I mean, Ben's Ben was asked again the other day. I think on Hulu Sports, someone sent me about um, about national team stuff and kind of evaded the question. So you know, we still don't even know if he's committed to play fully yet. So hopefully, um, he puts his hand up, bro. Well, I just want to tell Coach Gorgian that uh, my guy Lawndale can guard one through five. So I don't think there should be a problem with putting Lawndale in the starting rotation, <laughs> and he can guard anybody at any fucking time. Like a ride on lawnmower. Yeah, like a fucking lawnmower. No, but seriously, like, I think that 
yeah, he's a defensive-minded coach, but he's got to understand, like you said, rotations, you know, like get, just keeping people, I think communicating the best he can with his players and trying to just sort of I, I just try to identify, have an identity for the team. And defense, look, when you have when you have Simmons and Thibel on the team, like you can guard people and you have shooters and you have tough kids, tough players. You might not be overly like individually talented. Obviously, the United States is going to have that, but as a team, as a unit, the way they play, they're going to have just have to have an identity. You're going to communicate with your players the best you can. Don't just go, uh, no pun intended, don't go rogue and just do what you want to do without talking to your players first. I would definitely communicate and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what, how I want to play. And how are we going to get to this point? And just do the best you can. These national teams, you know, a lot of players might be used to like having a, a different role during their pro season that they're going to have for their national team. They're probably going to be asked to do less, you know, be more of a role player and, and just, you know, and just try to be in a box more than like just have free flow and doing whatever you want. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like I said, I don't know the situation. Obviously, I don't know the fucking situation, how I pick the team. <laughs> but, like, you know, sometimes you just got to – my my advice, communicate with your best players. Communicate what how you want to play and then keep those guys happy. But, obviously, you got to do your job. So, you, but you just got to, you know, whatever you decide to do, you got to roll with it. But just keep those guys, you know, you know in the loop of what you're going to do. Exactly right. Communication, communication, communication. That's where I see a lot of problems with star players' egos is when things are coaches are scared to communicate it, and then it festers. Um, I think if you put out on the table early, hey, hey guys, some of you guys are gonna get screwed with me in some games. Sometimes matchups aren't gonna work in our favor. Where I can't play a guy as much as I want to. We have a lot of talent in this room. Everyone that we pick, does anyone have a problem with that? And I think if you put it to the open group early. So everyone understands that we're all got to kind of eat a shit sandwich at times. I think guys will understand it. If you're that mentality of like, oh, I don't want to ruffle feathers this early in camp. Oh, there's no need to do it. Everything's rolling well right now. There'll come a time where you're not rolling and you need to make that decision. And then if it's if it's in game four of an Olympic Games and it hasn't happened before, then you have guys pouting at that point, you're in some shit. So like Pro said, I think open communication, even overly communicating early can usually put a band-aid on a lot of, a lot of different problems. So thanks for that question. Folks, my advice to him, if he doesn't know what to say, do the NBA co- head coaching route. Just say space, pace, and culture as much as you can, and then you'll be fucking fine. Because that's what every NBA coach says anyway. They some, don't say anything a lot made. of times. Get some signs made for the locker room. Yeah, culture. Yeah, a lot of quotes. Family, a lot of quotes. Together. Yeah, culture. family. Together. This. Yeah. Um, Defense. A lot of like. <laughs> y- yep. A lot of philosophers on the wall. A lot of world leaders quotes. Oh, a lot of sergeant man. generals. It's the worst. Man. It's the worst. <laughs> it's good. Oh man, when I, I think it really started around like 2010, 11. Like you'd walk into some locker rooms. Every pretty much every locker room, and a coach would always have five fancy words that they use. <laughs> they get the Bro. the third assistant, which was probably you. Hey, go get this shit put on a fucking sign. <laughs> we'll stick it up everywhere around the facility. <laughs> You're like, oh my god. Yes. Some poor fucks that copy cop at three in the morning to try to make fucking training camp the next day, trying to put up some fucking unity sign or family sign up on, on the fucking wall. No, poor oh, bastard. Man. No, but yeah, it is what it is, yeah, man. Fa- family one, two, three. Hey, where's the uh, local strip club? <laughs> yeah, yeah, fa- yeah. Family on three. Uh, I don't know you cut and trade family, but I guess we do. Yeah, yeah. Last one. I am a pro athlete, and I got COVID, and I'm really struggling with loss of strength and fatigue. I'm coming to the end of my career and thinking about calling it a day. 
Was there one day you woke up and said, I can't deal with the pain anymore? Or was it a gradual buildup of weeks and days where you said, that's it, I'm done. Love the podcast. Would love to hang out with Pro for a pizza or something bad for you. Cheers, Cameron Percy in Rayleigh, North Carolina. That's a decision you have to make. If you're waking up with pain every day and questioning whether you, should, you can even get to a workout, you've probably answered your own question. Look, I had, I had periods in my career where I went through that post-injury. I, I continue to fight on. But things really changed for me once I had kids. Uh, that's when perspective really changed about what I valued. And um, as I mentioned on the podcast and numerous media interviews, being able to play with my kids came to a point where that was more important to me than than wrestling against some absolute overly strong guys on NBA court. So that's why I made that decision. And, and yeah, I was waking up, limping out of bed most mornings. So that decision got easier and easier. So like like I said, if you if you were struggling that bad, COVID or not, um, if you're if you're getting out of bed and struggling to go to the bathroom, brush your teeth straight away, you'll definitely be feeling better a year later without that pounding pro. Yeah, both. You know, look, I remember working with you at the end of your career in Dallas. And I know you had a, another few years you played, but like I knew the pain you were in a little bit when you were getting, you know, getting back and forth. I remember working with a kid, Josh McRoberts, um, that was, you know, played in the NBA, you know, close to 10 years or so. And um, we had him. I think we got him in a trade. Or Miami, I right? forgot how we acquired him. Yeah. 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 I forgot exactly how we acquired him, but, you know, it was his last year and he couldn't really get on the court. And it's so, you know, it's, it's hard to see, you know, because like I was the guy I worked with him every day. He wasn't playing. So, you know, I, I love the kid. He was a good kid, talk shit. And, you know, and you would work with him every day, but he, like, it, you could tell he was in fucking pain. I think he had a knee or an ankle. I forgot what he had, but, you know, you watching those players at the end of their career going through the pain. Look, if you know, in in certain circumstances, you know, if you need the money or if it's a lot of money and you could sort of deal with the pain, that's one thing. But the motherfucker was making six million dollars with us. Believe me, he could t- he could deal with a little <laughs> pain. So to go through mic and drill with me for a couple for an hour a fucking day and mm. you know talking shit with me and, and dealing with it. But like, yeah, I mean, you got to make some life decisions, especially later in your career. If this is gonna really fuck you up, you know, if, if you. You know, if this is going to really fuck you up, you might want to, you know, back off. You know, you know, Kevin McHale, right? Like McHale at the end of his career, Hall of Fame player for the, uh, for the Boston Celtics. Uh, at the end of his career, he like fractured or broke his ankle. And I forgot what he had, but he played like half a year or a year on a busted ankle. To this day, the, the guy, you know, Kevin's poor bastard's got like, his ankle's like blown up and he's had multiple, you know, like countless surgeries and things on it. And he walks with a limp oh, based man, on doing that. It's painful just watching him walk, man. Yeah. It's- yeah. I and mean, he's the, Kevin's the best. It's the best, but he made a decision like back in the day, look, those guys are warriors and they'll do that because the guy wanted to win more than life itself. But like, you got to make a decision. If, if your body, you're just doing the regular things like walking, you know, getting up out of bed, you're, you're hearing snap, crackle, and pop every time you fucking get up. It, you know, if you're not making all that much money as a pro athlete, you know, I don't know your whole situation, whatever, but like, if it's not really worth it, then I, I'd probably say, you know, give it a fuck, you know, just call it a day. But you know, it depends. It depends on how bad it is, man. If you at the end, you had COVID, you know, who knows, God knows what you're dealing with with that. And, yeah, it's tough, man, but everybody's a little different. But I, I wouldn't – if it's going to sacrifice, you know, quality of life, I wouldn't fuck with it, man. I would I would call it a day. Yeah, the other guy, Luke Longley, went through the same thing. So he um, he was working with us with the national team, even the Sydney Kings, and, and he battled through some injuries late in his career, played through it, had a really bad ankle, and 
it was so bad that you know, ten years later, he would re- if he rebounded too much for us one day. So let's say he took a guy through a thirty-minute workout, rebounded, chased some balls. His ankle would be like a like a melon, man. So they're the other things you got to think of. Like all your injuries now, the older you get, the blood flow is going to slowly get worse. Arthritis, joint joint tissue, all that. Um, I highly recommend you continue working out and getting physio and massage and all that. Like you, like you're still an athlete even when you're retired. That'll help, but. You know, it's, it's something you, you definitely got to question, but um, that's just the fun of, of being a professional athlete. So we'll wrap up with some story time this week, Pro. So our, our uh, mama's son, Kwame Brown, has prompted me to, to tell a story. I'm sure you can think of one if you haven't already, but basically a time when you've been told by either your team or the NBA or someone else to shut the fuck up about your opinions. I've definitely been told that numerous times. One was... So I'm in the NBA, obviously. I mean, I think I'm in my career year, 2009, 2010 in Milwaukee, right? I don't know if you watched NBA TV back then, Pro, but do you remember the Wanda Sykes commercial on NBA TV? The what commercial? Do you remember the lady named Wanda Sykes? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I love Wanda. She's on um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. So she was in a commercial uh, that was, it was basically a commercial that said, it used the word gay a lot, right? And it was, a, it was the, the, right. the way the commercial went was it was a bunch of kids in, a, in like a diner um, after school, just hanging out, and they kept using the word "gay" as derogatory, right? So it'd be like, "Oh man, you're so gay," yeah. or "That's gay," or "That's gay," right? So anyway, but the, the yeah. commercial literally had the word "gay" like a thousand times in it. Like it was, it was, it was hard to watch at that point. And then Wanda Sykes walks past the group. She hears that word, gives them a lecture about not using it. You know, the rest is history, right? So <laughs> this commercial was doing oh, my yeah. head in because, like, I'm watching a game and every set of commercials, this commercial comes on. So I was like, Jesus, man, like, I get it. Like, so I put a tweet out and said, like, um, you know, this commercial is really annoying. Like, <laughs> just left it at that, right? So yeah. I, I get a call like two days later from the NBA and um, it's someone from, um, I'll remain nameless, but it's basically someone when they do this kind of mentor stuff um, where they, they come and talk to you and they try to help you about, you know, they're basically telling you about figure something out for life after sport. We'll help you go get an education if you want while you're in the NBA. Those kind of uh, mentor type people call me and goes, you know, Andrew, what was with your tweet? And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, like, you know, it's an inappropriate tweet. I said, why? Well, you know, it's part of the NBA brand. Why would you say it's annoying? I said, because it is annoying. Commercial's terrible. Like, you should take that shit off air. Like, it's awful. I don't like it, but you know, you have every right to air it, it's not, but I just don't agree with it, right? So she gives me a spiel about, well, you know, you would be able to tweet to people without the NBA. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she's like, well, you would have no brand without us. Like, I'm trying to big boy me on the phone, pro, and I'm like, I'm like young and brash at that point. And this was my first foray into how political things get, right? So I had no idea. I'm just like flying blind. I'm like, hang on a second. Are we in, are we in the United States of America? Like, where, where the fuck am I playing at? <laughs> Oh, you know, don't be like that. We'll just let you know, like you shouldn't, you know, you you're kind of the star of your team, and you shouldn't you shouldn't tweet things like that. And I was just like, what? Like, I didn't. It's not really controversial. If I don't like something, big deal, right? But um, right. Yeah, man, that was that was kind of the first foray into social media. Number one, I think it was the first year or two of social media, and then it, just how how the league back then tried to manipulate 
you know, what I was thinking and my thoughts about, well, we're basically paying you. Your brand will be nothing without us. So stop doing it. And I was like, well, that's kind of when the downhill slope started for old bugs. I started going more and more rogue. But um, just an interesting one that I, I still remember. I still remember the phone call to this day. I was, I was so confused by it. I was like, what the, what the hell is going on here? But um, there was that one. And then there was- How long was it, Bogues? How long was the conversation with the, with the, with the lady? Oh, a few minutes. Like she was, she, she kind of really tried to hit me with the, because I kind of said like, I'm, it's my, it's my Twitter account. Like it's not an NBA Twitter account. Yeah, but you wouldn't have a Twitter account without us. Essentially, is what she was saying. Your brand would be nothing without the NBA brand. And I was she like, forgot what you did at Utah or in Australia, and yeah, you know, she look. She has a sort of- she has a half valid point. Like obviously, my brand wouldn't be hardly anywhere near the the following without the NBA. But it's just like, but I'm not I'm not saying anything controversial. I just don't like the commercial. Like it's like. Well, like, I don't have to like everything the NBA puts out. There's things that I disagree with the NBA does. There's things I agree with. But it just hit me like, whoa, this is like they have their tentacles on everything. And another one that got I got in trouble for, which I this one was probably ignorance on my part, but I'm with the Golden State Warriors and I, um, there's a, a song called, um, I think it's called Guitar Man by um, a guy named Steve Earle. You know who that is? You heard of that guy? Like an old, I've heard the name. I think kind of like a country singer from back in the eighties, nineties. Anyway, there's a there's a song lyric in that that says, um, you know, he talks about busking and how he, you know, was was a singer with nothing. The lyric goes something like, "I got I got fifty five dollars and a Jap guitar, right?" And I had no, I have no, I had no idea about the connotations of the word abbreviated word Japanese of Jap in America. So I just tweeted this song lyric innocently because I love the song. I thought the, the lyric was was more about like you know I've got a a non-American guitar, which is kind of supposed to be deemed as, as not an, an expensive guitar and I've grinded to make it, blah, 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 blah. So I had some lady like email email Golden State Warriors at the time like, this guy needs to go to sensitivity training. He needs to go do this, needs to go do that. Like, And I was like, what the hell, man? Like, And I, I was like completely – I had no idea like about the connotations of abbreviating that word in the US. I didn't grow up in the US. In Australia, we abbreviate every fucking word there is and shorten it. Um, so I was like so confused, man. I'm just like, this was kind of my foray into what we see now where I just like, you know what? Like I have my opinion on things and it is what it is, but just two ones that stuck out in my mind throughout the NBA and, and this lady's email, like, she was dead serious. She wanted me to go to like a concentration camp. And like re, re quote in quote, she said I needed to be re-educated. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, <laughs> kind of extreme. But um, the fun and perils of being in the limelight, pro. Yeah, I I don't really have stories like that. As far as like, you know me, I don't really like. I'll talk shit here. I'll talk shit with you or whatever. But I, you know, never where anyone had to say, hey, pro, you, you gotta, you know, like I'm a little always a little bullish, like talking shit and stuff like that. Um, surely you got a. I'll tell you one. Surely th- you got one that said, besides from our podcast listeners, like stop swearing so much. Surely you got some of those. Well, how about how about once I almost got fired by, by Tim Grover? You want, should, I, should I give you this one? Let's do it. All right. So we got we're working out. You know, besides the NBA players, we would work out in the summertime. We would work out a crop of players getting ready for the NBA draft. Come, um, you know come June. So we work them out like probably like May, you know, probably the whole month of May and they start going to their teams and stuff. So we see them, you know, we don't see them as much in June, but we see them a lot in May. And I had a relationship with this kid, D Brown, who was an all American point guard at the university of Illinois. And I knew D for a long time, worked him out at, at Michael Jordan's camp at the Nike camps that I did. And then he, he did his pre-draft training in Chicago. 
And, you know, Grover, you know, Tim knew that I worked hard and all that shit. So we had a good relationship. But one time I, I thought I was A, going to get knocked the fuck out and the second fired. And I don't know which, which direct, you know, which one was going to come first. So we work out uh, the Miami Heat comes. The assistant GM came from the Miami Heat to watch D Brown work out. And, you know, we worked out. He worked out. He did okay. Then he played one on one against like a six five kid. We had um, we had working working out with us some kid from the University of Oakland in, in Michigan. And D got his ass kicked. He didn't play well. Didn't play well. You know the workout was okay, and the one on one didn't go great. So they're up in the weight room after the workout. Whatever they talked to the team and they went up. It wasn't a big deal. It was just something before the draft that the agent set up. So. You know, D D was all down in the dumps a little bit. You know, it didn't work out well. So I wanted to like cheer him up, just talk a little shit. So I go, hey D, the Heat guy said he really liked you, but you got to work on two things. So he propped up like, really? And I go, yeah. He just said to work on your offense and your defense, you non-playing <laughs> motherfucker. And I didn't even get that shit out. Grover threw me in this fucking like little room he had, little like kitchen room. And he goes, you fucking say that shit again. Your fucking ass is fired. You understand me? This is a serious fucking thing. I'm like, yeah, my bad. I, I just wanted to cheer the kid up. And I had a relationship with him. But like sometimes you got to fucking watch, you know, you got to sort of watch what you do and watch what you say. But you know, like the look at Grover's face was fucking classic, you know, and oh, it was fucking great. But like, you know, sometimes you got to like, you know how it is, Bo. The guy the plays room. bad. <laughs> yeah, but, but it, it was fucking classic. And, you know, Tim always laughs about that shit. But like, seriously, his ass propped up like, really? Like, maybe I misread this whole situation. I'm like, yeah, you just got to work on two things, your offense and your defense. You know, I'm playing motherfucker. And, <laughs> Yeah, uh, he just fucking went, oh, fuck. And then, like, Grover <laughs> grabbed me and fucking threw me in the room. So, yeah. That's a good uh, one. I've been told more than once, folks. I've been told more than once that you can't bring me around polite company. And I, and I, and I tend to believe that in some respects. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fair. But I'm definitely – I'm going to put that uh, those two things in my back pocket for a player one day. That's, that's good advice. No doubt. No doubt. All right, man. That wraps up episode 21 at Hoop Consultants. Thanks, Mike. We are at Rogue Bows on all your socials. Give us some feedback. Ask us some questions next week, and we'll see you for episode 22. Thanks. Thanks, guys.